get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jewelers. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? I'm doing great. Looking forward to the Cardinals getting back in action today. They take on Cleveland tonight, and our friend Adam Wainwright will be on the Hill. We'll talk to him tomorrow on his way to the ballpark for a day game at Progressive Field in Cleveland. Uh, Two-game series between the Cardinals and the Indians. The Cardinals can get over 500 in Ohio after going one and two over the weekend. Yeah, hopefully we'll be talking to Adam Wainwright after a win. Yeah, that'd be great. So we're looking forward to that tonight. Wainwright against Cal Quantrill, 6-10 with the first pitch. You'll see the game on Bally Sports Midwest. We're going to get back to baseball in a moment, but the big news of the morning, the big news of the day, the big news probably of the week, Simone Biles, the American superstar gymnast, out of the team competition in Tokyo this morning on the vault. She had an awkward landing, uh, the worst vault score of his her career. She walked off with a trainer, came back in sweats, and Jordan Childs took over for her in the team competition. So Simone Biles, at least for the team competition, and hopefully not for the individual competition, out in Tokyo. Yeah, this is the best vaulter in the world. So people e- knew that something was up even during the vault. She was supposed to do a Yurchenko with two and a half twists, but she ended up just doing one and a half twists with, and as you mentioned, stumbled on the landing there. So before people even had confirmation that she might be injured, they knew that if she didn't go full out, something was amiss there with Simone Biles, who's the best in the world. And this is just. Of all people that we did not oh, need to man. get injured as far as Team USA is concerned in the Summer Olympics. We don't want anyone to ever get injured. But Simone is the marquee name for so many people who she, are tuning in to watch the Olympics. She really is the face of these Olympics, isn't he? And Absolutely. Isn't she in America? Absolutely. Yeah. And so she is out of the team competition. That competition going on in Japan, obviously, as we speak early this morning. And obviously that causes a huge hit to the U.S. chances to win gold also. Absolutely. Simone, as we mentioned, the best vaulter in the world. America's counting on that score. So without that normal high score in her vault, the United States finished the first of four events already more than a point behind Russia. So it puts them at a, a disadvantage there. And who knows what's going to happen with Simone moving forward. But doesn't look great for Team USA Gymnastics. And I just, my heart breaks for any athlete that gets injured, but especially Simone Biles, who... Just having watched her here in St. Louis, Randy, yes, she's the GOAT, but I think so many people in St. Louis developed such an affection for her and for this women's gymnastics team after getting to go to the trials, and we felt a personal connection there. So to see her 
be injured and not be able to compete in the vault the way that she had trained to mm-hmm. in one of the biggest moments of her career. It's just very sad. That's the thing. If Patrick Mahomes comes back after winning the Super Bowl and loses the Super Bowl next year, he's got next year. Right. She trained five years to defend her championship in the Olympics, and this is it. She's done after this at the age of 24. She will not be competing in another Olympics in three years. And you think about the pandemic and the way everything got disrupted and all of these athletes having to try to find a place to train during a pandemic and stay mentally sharp during a pandemic, not know what's going to happen with the Olympics. And to think that you would get through all of that and then you're at your event, a, a place where you normally shine, you've waited this long for this one moment and then you get injured is just so sad. <laughs> We mentioned last night that the Cardinals were off. The Brewers were off as well. So the Cardinals remain eight behind in the National League Central. The Cubs did win. Javi Baez, a walk-off base hit to center field to beat the Reds. So the Cardinals now trail the Reds by a game, a single game in the division. And the Cubs are a half game behind the Cardinals. Cardinals are 50-50. and 50. The Cubbies are 50-51. and 51. And the Cubbies may be headed down the stretch of their dynasty. The trade deadline later this week, we're going to talk to John Barossi of MLB Network coming up at 8.15 about what's going on with the trading deadline. But Tim Kirchin of ESPN says he thinks that Chris Bryant may wind up in the Big Apple. Well, I think it is important not just to win the division, but if they make the playoffs, they're going to have to go up against some really good teams, Milwaukee, San Diego, San Francisco, and the Dodgers. And the Mets, I think, are going to have to do something. They are a subpar offensive team, and Chris Bryant is out there. To me, he would be the perfect fit to play third base for the Mets. It won't be easy to get him, but it's possible that he's on the move. They're also looking for a starting pitcher, of course, given that Jacob deGrom's situation is unclear at the moment. Kyle Gibson is out there. He could really help the Mets. They can't have these kind of expectations coming in, and they and not do anything at the break. I think they will. I have two questions, Michelle. Number one, how much is it going to talk, cost to get Chris Bryant? And number two, how many teams are going to be interested in him? How many teams need that bat? And he can play the outfield. He can be fine in left field for you. But how many teams are really going to be in on Chris Bryant? I wonder. First question is probably a lot. Mm-hmm. Second question is probably not a lot. I would imagine it's going, the asking price for Chris Bryan is going to be incredibly high. And you're right. He's got a lot of versatility and obviously was on a championship team. He He's a desirable piece for any team mm-hmm. that has the assets to go after him. But I don't know how many teams feel like they're in a position to win right now and will go out there and acquire someone like Chris Bryant. I imagine the list of, of teams that are actually in on him is pretty small. I don't think the Mets would trade him, or the Cubs rather, would trade him to the Brewers. The Giants are pretty well set. Their offense is really good. The Dodgers... Even though he is a versatile player, they don't really have a place to play him. I guess they could put him in left, but they've got A.J. Pollock out there, and they've got multiple outfielders. The Padres have already made their big trade. I can't imagine that they're going to replace Tommy Pham with Chris Bryant. So then you look at the American League. Do the Red Sox make a move like that? Well, they've got a third baseman. I suppose they've got a D.H. They I don't see the Red Sox making that move. Tampa just went out and got Nelson Cruz. They're loaded with outfielders. They're okay at third base, although I guess they could use him at third base. Maybe Tampa is an option. I just want, I, I don't think there's going to be a huge market for him. 
and the Cubs are going to lose him in free agency anyway. So they have to decide, would we rather get a pick after the first round or get a decent prospect? It seems like the Mets are the landing spot. No, they're it's, logical, it's, right? It, not only is it logical, it seems like that's really the only team in recent weeks that we've really heard him connected to, at least mm-hmm. on a from multiple places. It just seems like that's the landing spot. And I keep reading and hearing Randy Anthony Rizzo and the Boston Red Sox. There seems to be a lot of interest there as well. And I wonder if you're the Cubs. Why not deal both of those guys? Javi Baez, too. Mm-hmm. There's always been talk about maybe keeping Anthony Rizzo around because he's so beloved in Chicago. Not that Chris Bryan and, and Baez aren't. I'm not suggesting that. But Anthony Rizzo, in a lot of ways, is the face of that team. It just seems like maybe they would want somebody to build around. But if I'm the Cubs and I'm really trying to tear this all down and blow it all up, why not try to get something for Anthony Rizzo if you can? And if you're Jed Hoyer, you go to the Yankees and say, we're offering him to the the Red Sox, too. Then you go to the Red Sox and say, we're offering him to the Yankees, too, and just see what happens. Yes, yeah, start a bidding war. Who knows? <laughs> you, a rivalry bidding know. war. Even though I read last night, apparently the Yankees might have made an offer to Trevor Story. So financially, right. who, who knows where they're at? And, and they could play him in center field. That's the thought process is unbelievably Trevor Story could wind up playing center field for somebody. Shocking news yesterday out of Columbia late in the afternoon. We got word that Jim Sterk is stepping down as the Missouri Athletic Director. He had two years left on an original seven-year contract, and he sent the email to his staff yesterday. He and the university president, Munchoy, mutually decided that Sterk would step down once a new leader is found, so he'll be around. I, I find it really surprising. Number one, I find it somewhat troubling that this will be, in seven years, the fourth athletic director at the University of Missouri, even though you, you had one guy leave in Mac Rose and you had, had Alden step down. But still, I think that uh, you need to have a higher level of stability to run your athletic department. The other part is Sterk has done such a magnificent job of raising funds Mm -hmm. for their new indoor practice facility. I wonder, and he's 65, and Dave Matter is going to join us. Are we going to officially have Dave? Do we know yet? We don't know yet. But we're going to try to talk to Dave Matter later. I, I can't figure out why he is no longer going to be the athletic director at Mizzou. Yeah, when I first heard this news, I went, what? That's out of nowhere, at mm-hmm. least from where we sit. I wasn't anticipating that news. And then when you read the story, Dave Matter had a great piece, obviously, and the press release, and you you hear this sentence, we now begin a national search for a visionary athletics director who will develop a strategic plan for Mizzou to achieve exceptional success in the SEC and navigate a bold path in the rapidly evolving world of collegiate athletics. I don't wonder if Mizzou just didn't think that Jim Sterk was the guy to make them a powerhouse in the SEC even though he was the steward that guided them through the South End End Zone Project and as you mentioned did a lot from a fundraising perspective. I wonder if they are thinking we need to get to a different tier in the SEC especially if programs like Texas Mm -hmm. and Oklahoma and who knows what else is going to happen from a realignment perspective all this stuff with name and image and likeness is happening. It is a rapidly evolving college athletics world so I'm wondering if Mizzou is thinking that he's not the guy to bring them to that level but who knows he he, this could have been fully his decision we don't know yet there are tons of young visionary athletic directors around the country with mizzou ties that have been assistants to either alden or sterk over the years and there are some even in the sec but you got to pay those guys Mm -hmm. and they they did step up to their credit and they paid eli drinkwitz four million dollars a year so if you're looking for that young visionary guy 
you better be willing to pay the price for him. And obviously, that the big job for an athletic director now is to be able to raise funds. And I thought Stirk was doing an okay job of that. It seems like he was, so... Who knows? We'll hopefully talk to Dave Batter about that later on. The Blues have extended qualifying offers to all six of their restricted free agents. They said they were going to do this last week, and Doug Armstrong did offer contracts to Ivan Barbashev, Pavel Pavel Buchnevich, Dakota Joshua, who, by the way, I think is going to probably be the fourth-line center for the Blues, Jordan Cairo, Zach Sanford, and Robert Thomas. So presumably all of those guys will be here again for the 2021-2022 season. And they retain contract negotiation rights with these players when free agency opens tomorrow. Do you expect a lot of movement right out of the gate tomorrow? In the league? Yes. Yeah, every every good player will be signed by the end of tomorrow. That's a really fun thing in the NHL when there's a flurry of activity right away. They're a, they can have a TV show on NHL they Network should. or a radio show. They do. It's for the free agent frenzy. And sometimes baseball happens and you have nothing going on. Football happens and you have one trade on the day or one free agent signing. It's going to be amazing tomorrow. There's going to be 20 guys. And Landis Cog will sign. He, he's going to land somewhere. All of the, the He big will land Discog. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good one. And uh, one other note, we're going to talk about this as we go along during the course of the day. And I'm sure you've already heard the news that Aaron Rodgers is going to be back in Green Bay. Apparently landed this morning. They do a really good job in Green Bay of scoping out the airport. And they had the video of Aaron Rodgers landing and heading on over to the Packers, Packers practice facility. And Michelle, you and I, since this all came about on draft day, we've talked about how Aaron Rodgers wanted Peyton Manning or Tom Brady type power. And Adam Schefter, who broke the news, says that Rodgers is going to get Peyton Manning or Tom Brady type power. In the past, I think the Packers have gone to Aaron Rodgers and said, we want your input into some personnel decisions that we make. We're going to include you on some key personnel decisions that you make only to not do that and not follow up and not include him. And I think now going forward, Aaron Rodgers, I think, is going to be included and consulted. And they're going to do things, I think, to try to make him happy. I think those are the kinds of things that in this potentially last season in Green Bay that the Packers will look to avoid if they're hoping to improve the relationship with Aaron Rodgers. So it was never about the money, as we figured. Mm -hmm. This was all a power dynamic. And the way that I interpret that is he's getting the power he wants this season and then he's out. Yeah, I, well, that's what he, what we're thinking right now. Right now. Things could obviously evolve yeah. over the course of the season. But as we sit here right now at 7.14 a.m. on July 27th, it seems like he's getting what he wants. So he feels satisfied that mm-hmm. he's getting a certain level of power. And he really has no other option unless he doesn't want to play. But it seems like it's his contract is getting renegotiated to where he's getting what he ultimately, it seems like he wants, which is to get out. And here's my question though and we'll we're going to go through this later on in the show it's going to be a fun exercise but we might get to the trade deadline michelle and he says i want this guy they go get this guy and they make him the highest paid player in the history of pro sports in america and only Lionel messi had had a bigger contract than the one rogers was offered by the packers lionel messi whatever he's not listening I, I don't know. I heard he's a fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, so what ha- what what if you what if he has the power and can get the money in Green Bay? 
But if you're Green Bay, what else are you going to do? There's no one. Yes, it is a team sport, but your chances to win are made or broken by Aaron Rodgers Mm -hmm. being out on the field for you. And so if this is what you need to do, he's one of the greatest to ever do it. And from an organizational standpoint, you certainly don't want to be caught in a bind financially or from a power dynamic standpoint, but it's also Aaron Rodgers. So what are you supposed to do? This we're not no disrespect, but we're not talking about Dwayne Haskins here. We're talking, you know, this is not a Kirk Cousins type conversation. We're talking about Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. You need to make him happy if you yeah. want to win. But it, it, my my question is, if he is, has the power, and the Packers are comfortable with him having the power, and then they go back and say, well, well, we'll offer you that contract again. How do you turn it down? You can't. I wouldn't think so. Well. He can. It's not about the money. It's true. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on Carriker and Smallman. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for a little game of What's Better on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for What's Better on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Emily, and Randy with you. And we appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 314, what's better? Six Flags or Holiday World? Hmm, I've never been to Holiday World. Have I haven't you? either. I think I'm going to go with Six Flags just because of my ignorance of Holiday World. Same. I think I, I just by default have to go with Six yeah. Flags. And Holiday World is not in the St. Louis area. No, it's not. So I'm going with Six Flags. Holiday World isn't vacation, is it? Holiday World. No, that it's not. The movie Vacation. The movie Vacation? Yeah. With I don't know. Chevy Chase. Oh, you mean um, National Lampoon's Family Vacation? Yes, there you go. Uh, I didn't know if there was a different vacation because there's a million movies I haven't seen. 65780, the world knows what amusement park they were going to that was closed. I just don't remember right Mm. off the top of my head. Okay. From the 636, what's better? The Blues getting Gabriel Landeskog or the Cardinals getting Trevor Story? The Cardinals getting Trevor Story. For the long term, Cardinals getting Trevor Story. Yeah, that would be great. Now, I would take either, but the Cardinals getting Trevor Story addresses an immediate need. Mm-hmm. Not that Landis God doesn't, but there's always perhaps Matthew Kachuk down the line. Exactly, Michelle. So, you nailed it. <laughs> That's where my head's at there. So I'm thinking Trevor Short to the Cardinals would love that. Yesterday, by the way, Ken Rosenthal had a piece in The Athletic surmising that perhaps at some point in the near future, the Nationals will want to move Trey Turner. That's the guy I want the Cardinals to get. I'm willing to wait on Trevor's story if I can get a guy like Trey Turner who could hit at the top of my lineup and play a great shortstop, too. I'd dig either. Yeah, I would, too. <laughs> From the 636. Wally World, by the way. Thank you very much for the text. Wally we do appreciate World. it. Wally World. Okay. That's that's what I thought, but I'm ignorant and I haven't really seen the movie. So. <laughs> or I did when no I was like three. So, I don't know. <laughs> From the 636, what's better in the same vein? Uh, Disneyland or Disney World? The, Again, only been to Disney yeah. World, so. I same. think... Now, Disney World is much bigger. They aren't landlocked. In Anaheim, Disneyland is. But the weather in Anaheim is much better than the weather in Orlando, generally speaking. So I believe I'm going to go with Disney World. I'm going to go with Disney World or Disneyland, I'm sorry, over Disney World. Are you a big amusement park guy? No, not at all. 
Same. Now, if it's Six Flags and it's here and you could just go there for the day mm-hmm. or when you were a kid on a field trip or something, great time. But I am never someone that wants to spend my money and, more importantly, my vacation days going to an amusement park. And now I don't have children, so I think that that obviously plays into that decision a lot. But I know there's a lot of adults without children that like to go to Disney all the time. BK is a huge Disney guy. Yeah, no children, adult Disney people. That's a thing. And I'm not in that camp. It's just uh, very hot and there's... It doesn't seem very relaxing to me. Yeah. And I that. like to relax yeah. on vacation. Yeah. In our younger days, we went to like Universal Studios, took the Universal Studios tour. I think we did Disney World in our younger days when we were out for an all-star game in Anaheim. But it's, it is different and more fun with the kids. From the 314, what's better, Mama Molina or Mama Manning? Okay, so you've got Mama Manning with Eli and... And by the way, Archie gets a lot of credit for this, as does Olivia. Uh, you, you've got Peyton and Eli, both pretty good. And you've got three Molinas all with championship rings as catchers. So I think the answer is pretty clear. Yeah. She, Mama Molina is definitely more prolific, mm-hmm. even though her two have as many championship rings as the Molinas three. But yeah, I got it. And Yadi's here. And Yaddy's here. I'm going to go with Mama Molina. Also, think about the passion and the intensity that the Molinas have. Yeah. And where do you think that comes from? Their parents. Yeah, definitely. Also, Benji is in the booth, and we have both Mannings that are going to broadcast. Mm -hmm. And Yaddy, who knows? He could play for many years to come. You never know when the end of the road is for Yaddy. But that's always an option for him, too. So they could be tied as far as brothers in the booths as well. Does Yaddy go out as a 39-year-old champion like Peyton did? Does he have a defense to carry him like Peyton did? (laughs) No, not really. No disrespect to Peyton, one of the all-time greats, but I wouldn't say he was the reason that they won that Super Bowl. From the 217, what's better? Randy's chubby bunny challenge or Michelle having her fingers taped to the desk for the whole show? Well, I didn't have them taped to the desk. I had my thumbs taped to my hands. No opposable thumbs. Which was very entertaining. And by the way, Michelle did a great job in not complaining that day. Because if I would have opened that door, it would have been, it would have taken over the yeah, entire show. You would not have heard the end of it. You would not have. So I tried to just keep it stuffed in you the did box, a good job. you know, but I have to go with the chubby bunny because that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I hadn't done that <laughs> since I was a kid or seen anyone do that since mm-hmm. I was a kid. And you really went for it, Randy. 13 of the big marshmallows. Yeah. These are not the small little guys. I don't mess around. These are the s'mores type marshmallows. And you got 13 in your mouth. And even when you would start laughing and they would start to shoot out of your mouth, you would find a way to get them back in. It was very impressive work. I was surprised that you had, like, at the beginning, you had two kind of almost like, you look like a walrus. I was trying to do, yeah, the squirrel thing. Yeah. Yeah. Looks great. And you made it to 13 and you were at, like, four at that point. I'm like, there's no way. No way. You did it. It was a very effective strategy. If I didn't have a massive gag reflex, I probably could have done 16. But I just can't put something against the back of my throat. Otherwise, it would have just, they would have projectiled all over the place. That would not have been good. We don't want that. From the 636, what's better, watching the Cubs rebuild or watching the Blackhawks rebuild? Oh, man, this is a good one. Probably the Blackhawks for me. It was fun seeing the fact that, like, uh, Keith and Seabrook just not... 
the, the injuries and the illness and all of that stuff, but just the fact that they couldn't play to the level that they had in the past, especially Seabrook. You know, wakey, wakey, Brent. Ugh. The way that I, at least from where I sit, I have genuine, real dislike for the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. Not only because they had success when the Blues just couldn't get over that hump. You had the wakey-wakey thing. Those teams, those Blues and Blackhawks teams through that stretch when the Blackhawks were really good were always going at each other. It was always very physical. And they were just such an unlikable team. They are, yeah. Whereas with the Cubs, it's been a friendly rivalry between Chicago and St. Louis for a long time. And I think for so long, the Cardinals just never thought that the Cubs would win. They were the lovable losers, right? And then they surprised everybody and they did win. But... It just doesn't feel like the Cubs are that much of a threat no. to the Cardinals. And which I, I know we probably shouldn't think that no. way because right now they're pretty comparable, but we, we should be tired of and not enjoy watching the Cubs rebuild because for the better part of a hundred years that's what they've been doing. Better part of hundred and ten years. But that being said, I do get some sick pleasure out of seeing this dynasty that resulted in one champion. The Blackhawks were a legitimate dynasty. Legitimate, yes. Okay, so I have respect for that. The Cubs didn't take advantage of their dynasty, so I get a small chuckle out of that. So I actually get more of a kick out of seeing the Cubs rebuild. That's better. Yeah. I just assume that at some point the Cubs are going to cub it up, so I'm not that worried. They, They have, and they did. Whereas the Blackhawks... Yeah, well, they've been good and different regime. We wish we could be the Blackhawks, right? We don't. We've never wished we could be the Cubs to this point, but we wish we could be the Blackhawks. Ooh, that feels gross. Even hearing you say that. But think about it. I know more championships. I get it. The cool thing was though, and you hated them. Hated. So everybody, everybody hated the greatest show on turf because they were arrogant and they were good. Everybody hated Tony's Cardinals because they were arrogant and they were good. There's no better feeling as a fan to have your team be hated because they're arrogant and they're good. You're so right. And feels like in St. Louis, we've been chasing that feeling, at least for the Cardinals for a while. Been a while. Got one more? Yeah, we'll do one more. From the 636, what's better? Watching Kansas twisting in the wind or watching Texas crawling on their knees to the SEC. I got to admit, I always go back to their old athletic director, DeLoss Dodds, who had that Texas draw saying, a bad year at Texas is like a good year at Missouri. (laughs) I love seeing Texas crawl on their knees to the SEC. So do I. And I'm going to love it even more when Texas gets into the SEC and they get whooped every single weekend because they're not as good as they think they are. And... And they're not even great, and they think they're better than they are. And and that Longhorn Network won't be around to show them getting whooped in the Olympic sports. It'll be, what, nationally televised programs? Yeah, SEC Network. Yeah. I still don't. I know that it's the premier football league in the country. Mm-hmm. I know that Texas might be seeing the way that this is all going to unfold, so they want to make their move now so they can establish themselves in the SEC. But again, self-awareness is so important. And if I'm Texas, I want to stay in a place where I am comfortably at the top even when I'm not good. Yeah. That's that's their entire brand, Randy, is that we are Texas. Horns up. This is the great UT. And people buy into that even when they're not good because their only real competition in the Big 12 is Oklahoma. And... I don't know. They're going to go to the SEC, and it's a brand new world. As Aladdin said, a whole new world. And I know that it is 
a blood oath that you take when you go to Mizzou to hate KU. But I didn't go to Mizzou. I went to Lindenwood. <laughs> and I have a lot of friends that did go to Kansas. And I do feel bad that they are twisting in the wind. Now, they've earned that because of their lack of productivity in football. But their basketball program has been good for a long time. You know, how did they get there? Well, that's questionable. But still, to have a program that's been in the Big 8 slash Big 12 for a long, long, long time, and now you don't know where you're going to be, Baylor has a much better athletic program overall. If, if the Pac-12 is going to choose a couple of teams from the the old Big 12, they probably take Baylor and Oklahoma State rather than KU and Texas Tech. So I, and Iowa State, too. They're, they're twisting in the wind. I do mm-hmm. feel bad for those programs. I do, too. It's very unfair. And Mizzou, it's not too long ago that Mizzou was in that same boat, and we were thinking that Mizzou might wind up in the Mountain West or I, something. I remember that. That was... A scary time for Mizzou fans yeah. because the Big Ten didn't want them. There, there was, like you said, talk of the Mountain West. It was, is this going to be musical chairs and we don't have a seat at the end? Right. And then they landed in, on the throne with the best seat <laughs> right, in the house right. in the SEC. So, and so where we were, KU, Iowa State, uh, probably Texas Tech feeling the same way. Coming up on 101 ESPN, we've got NFL Four Downs with Randy and Michelle. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it is time for Four Downs, Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And I get to go first? Yes, go first, Randy. It is time for First First Down. There we go. Michelle, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starting quarterback for the Jaguars. We know that. But the former quarterback, Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew is in denial. Uh, he was on Chris Long's Greenlight podcast, and he said that he's preparing to battle once camp begins this week for the number one job. And he says he's giving up something vital to the human body because he doesn't want to have anything to do with number two. He said, quote, to paraphrase, in preparation for the competition, I haven't taken a number two in weeks, as Chris Long chuckled. He said, that's not an option for me. Number two is not an option. Better become an option pretty quick for Gardner. From a health standpoint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a health and reality standpoint. On on both sides, yeah, from right. a health standpoint and from a, you're probably yeah. not going to be the starting quarterback. But I appreciate his fire. Yeah. I appreciate that he is so dedicated to being the number one guy <laughs> that he might put himself in physical pain and or physical harm. But I, I just don't think that's likely. Sorry, Gardner. No, if uh, Trevor Lawrence doesn't start for the Jaguars, something has gone horribly wrong. How do you explain that to the fan base? Yeah, you can't. After they bought all their number 16 jerseys? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can't do that. They will be demanding to see Lawrence. You win. Did they win one or two games last year? Whatever it was, they earned the number one pick in the draft. Second down. Well, how about we go from the number one overall draft pick to the number 15 overall draft pick? Because for my second down, I want to talk about Mac Jones and the New England Patriots. So the Patriots, not great last season, not what Patriots fans are used to. First season without Tom Brady, you, of course, had a lot of guys opt out because of COVID. Cam Newton, their quarterback, then got COVID and wasn't the quarterback that a lot of people expected him to be. But the Patriots have been high on Cam. They brought him back. They think that there's a lot of talent there, even though a lot of people wonder if his 
best days are behind him. But they went out and they drafted Mac Jones. And I think the big storyline in New England is, A, how much better is this team going to be in their second season post-Tom Brady now that they have a not only a full squad, but they went out and made a lot of moves this offseason. And when does Mac Jones get the call? How long are they going to run with Cam Newton before they let Mac Jones go under center? And Mac Jones is used to waiting, Randy. He waited at Alabama. He spent three seasons behind Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa. So I know that he will wait patiently in the wings and be learning until his number is called. But I just wonder how long Cam Newton can hold off Mac Jones. And really, I guess the question is, how good can Cam be until Mac Jones gets the call? Because I don't know if he's got it. And I think the big overarching question that doesn't exist nationally, but does in St. Louis and in Denver, how long before Josh McDaniels is exposed as basically a fraud who is a product of Tom Brady? That hasn't happened already? Well, they're still giving him Cam Newton and Mac Jones and putting him in charge, letting him ruin Mac Jones, right? But... How much of that is Tom Brady and how much of it is Bill Belichick? There's, I still think that there's other people parts, that, right. are, that are in the mix there. Right. To answer your question, I don't think that after the first half of the season, I don't think that Cam Newton starts game nine for the Patriots. Now, they might still be in the hunt. That's the thing, Mm -hmm. is that he kept them basically in the hunt last year. They went 7-9. and I wonder if Belichick, though, says we need more offense because Cam did not provide great offense for them last year after COVID. And even though you don't want to rush a young quarterback, I think they probably want to see at least what they've got in Mac Mac Jones. If Cam Newton is not going to be the answer the following season, certainly not a long-term answer, you're going to want to give him the reins at some point to at least see what you've got in him and if he can be the guy moving forward. But we thought that about Jared Stidham, too. When Tom Brady left, how many people in New England were saying, well, Jared Stidham is going to be the guy. So I would think Bill Belichick, and and this is the highest he's ever personally drafted a quarterback. So he's clearly high on Mac Jones. And one other point here, Mac Jones only started one year at Alabama. He does not have a ton of experience actually playing games at that level at the sec nfl level i wonder if belichick might do with jones even though belichick is 69 what andy reed and the chief staff did with mahomes and just set him down for a year only one season for mac jones but he was the offensive mvp in the title game he had 4500 passing yards 41 touchdowns a completion percentage of 77.4 percent pretty good season awesome he was great season even though it was only one third down Michelle, speaking of Patrick Mahomes, he says he won't have an Aaron Rodgers-type situation in Kansas City because, Mahomes says, the Chiefs do things in a different way. He says, quote, I think the biggest thing, and I can't speak for Aaron and the Packers, but I think the biggest thing when you look at it as an outsider is it's all about communication. It's all about respecting each other as a human being and communicating with each other. Aaron has played a long time with that organization, and and at some point, they lost that communication factor, and I think that's where the disconnect has kind of happened. So for me and the Chiefs, I feel like if we just keep this open line of communication like we have from top down and the team to the coaches to Brett Veach to Clark Hunt, I think there will never be a problem. I think it just comes with the culture that we built here of communicating with each other and respecting each other as people. Well, the Packers have changed GMs and coaches in the last few years. That may contribute to Rodgers' issues. Are the Chiefs really going to keep Reed and Veach and Mahomes uh, for Mahomes' entire contract 10 years? It doesn't seem to be the typical case in the NFL. And I'll be interested to see if the level of communication for 
Patrick Mahomes is as good in 2028 as it is in 2021. It's also very easy to say that there's great communication and respect when you've got a half a billion dollar contract. Yeah, that adds a lot of communication. Yeah. Oh, this is a nice. Yeah, this check. This is you're really communicating with me. Well, I know exactly how you <laughs> feel about me. Right. And I think Patrick Mahomes is at a different stage of his career, to your point. He's still relatively young and relatively new, and he's had a lot of success in the onset of his career. And if he doesn't win another Super Bowl and he's in the same position as Aaron Rodgers and he realizes that the clock is ticking and he is desperate to win and... To your point, maybe there's been a new head coach and a new front front office, and he doesn't feel like they've done enough to win. I wonder if in a handful of years, at the end of his career, if he would be singing the same tune. And think about it. After the Super Bowl last year, he didn't have to say a word, and they didn't have to come to, to him to say, you want us to sign Joe Thune? You want us to bring in Austin Blythe? You want us to trade for Orlando Brown? You want us to bring in Chris Long? You want us to bring uh, Lauren DeVarney Tardif back? He's going to say yes to all of those, and they know that. So they don't really have to communicate at this point. They did all the right things. That's true. Fourth down. Finally, for me, Randy, we always have at least one eye on the NFC West. A, because most of us hate the Rams, Mm -hmm. and B, because we used to pay attention to the NFC West for a long time. And I think it's such an interesting division this year. There's a lot of movement in the NFC West, and I'm really curious about the Arizona Cardinals. So they fell short of the playoffs last season. A lot of that had to do with Kyler Murray, that late-season injury. They had a 6-3 and start, and they weren't able to put it together to get to the playoffs. But they made a lot of moves this offseason. They went out on offense. They added A.J. Green, James Conner, Rodney Hudson, and defensively, That was their main issue last year outside of Kyler Murray's injury. They allowed at least 26.6 times over the last 10 games of the season. And they went out, they added J.J. Watt, of course, and Malcolm Butler. And I just think that at this stage of the game and at this stage of Cliff Kingsbury's tenure, they're not going to get the pass that they got last year. Whenever someone like Kyler Murray is injured and you have a glaring problem in the defense, I think a lot of fans are willing to be patient. But I think this season, after you've made so many moves and you have Kyler Murray back yet again and you've seen glimpses of what he's going to be. I don't know if the Cardinals get a pass from their fan base if they don't make the playoffs. And one of the things they need to do is make Chandler Jones happy. He's asked for a trade. He only played five games last year and he's been one of the best pass rushers in football, but they shouldn't get a pass. We heard Roy Green tell us how surprised he was by the quality of Kyler Murray. They go out and they built a wide receiver core. Now, Larry Fitzgerald is no longer there, Mm -hmm. but they've got the best receiver in the league in DeAndre Hopkins. They've got A.J. Green now. They've got slot guys. They've got running backs. They did build up their defense, and there shouldn't be uh, an excuse now. Granted, you play in a tough division, but your team should be good enough to play with the Rams, the, the Seahawks, and the 49ers. Cliff Kingsbury's first season there, 2019, they went 5-10-1 last season, 8-8. Eight and eight. And I think if you're the fan base, we fair or not, we tend to look at things or a new tenure in three-year yep. chunks. And by year three, I think a lot of people are looking at the collection of talent that they have, and they expect to be in the playoffs. I think that's fair. I do, too. And by the way, the Cardinals, a lot of people in St. Louis still like them. And I think probably liked them a little bit more when they found out in that hearing a couple of weeks ago that officially... The Cardinals were one of the teams that voted against the Rams' move. So, Michael Bidwell, thank you, and we're rooting for you. They're definitely the team I'm going to cheer for in the NFC West. 
That is Four Downs with Carriker and Swalman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We do appreciate your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, for a little game of Take It or Leave It, Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. All right, Michelle, interesting uh, couple here. We like interesting couples, right, with Garrick and Smallman? Sure, yeah. Adele, 15-time Grammy winner, and she showed up to Game 5 of the NBA Finals in Phoenix and was sitting next to Rich Paul, mm-hmm. who is LeBron's agent and a mega agent in the NBA. And now they've officially gone public with a PDA-filled date at Cipriani in New York City. Cipriani. Cipriani. Uh, take it or leave it. This is a spectacular pairing of music and sports. I'll take it. That's a power couple for sure. Big time. Yeah. I'm, I'm pleased for both of them. Yeah, I had seen the photos of them sitting courtside at the NBA Finals. And good for Adele. Yeah. So I wonder if she's made her way over here to the States Permanently, doesn't she? Does she have a kid in she does. London? She does. Okay. Well, also, she can, she can bring the kid over here. Yeah, of course, that happens often. But we need some new tunes from Adele. Yeah, we do. Like, I'm hasn't happened in a while. Has I'm it? thrilled with your personal life developments, Adele. But give us the music. Take also, it or leave it. He becomes her agent. Oh yeah, I mean, if you're dating, well, some people don't like to mix business and pleasure, right? So you know, the business and personal life sometimes doesn't work out. So I'm actually going to leave that. But maybe if he could give her a nudge into the studio. Yeah. All we ask is for her happiness. Also, maybe he he could get on the phone with Kanye because everybody's been waiting for Donda. You know, he has the Mm -hmm. listening party at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And then we don't get the album. And allegedly, Kanye has had a bed delivered and he's living in the bowels of the stadium mixing the album. And he's not going to leave until it's done. There's rumors that he's going to have another listening party at MSG. But... Come on, give us the album. We want Donda. So they're letting him live, Kanye live at Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Oh, yes. I will give you photos. So at his listening party, he was in this big, red, almost Michelin man type getup. Uh And he's been wearing a mask over his head. Not the mask that we've been wearing during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but over his head. Spider-Man look? A little bit, yeah. And... There had been rumors that he had not left the stadium and that he had had a bed delivered and was living there mixing the album after the listening party. And then during the soccer game that was there in Atlanta, Kanye emerged from the bowels of the stadium and was walking through the supporter section. And there were all of these videos and he was in the same outfit days later after the listening party. Wow. It seems like the rumors may be true that he's still (laughs) inside the stadium. He'd be crazy. I tell you what, I don't care what the creative process is, but give us the album. Don't say we're doing the listening mm-hmm. party and you're getting it at midnight and then say psych, even though that's classic Kanye. He, he does this all yeah. the time, but give us the album. He's never happy with what he has, with, no. with the music that he makes. I also, now that we're demanding new albums, Rihanna, I know you listen. Can we get some tunes? Yeah. Would love some new it's Rihanna. De- it seems like it's been a decade for her. R- Frank Ocean, again, big fan of yeah. the program. Can we get some tunes from you too, Frank? Last time he turned out a song, Billy Ocean was turning out music. (laughs) Good one, Randy. (laughs) Good one. Okay, so let's steer it to baseball. We're selfish when we watch sports. We like to watch things based on what our preferences are and really for our entertainment. 
So with that being said, take it or leave it. It's actually a bad thing that the Cubs core is getting dealt because the villains, air quotes, in Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo, we're not going to have as much hatred towards the Cubs because we don't have those villainous faces. I'll take that. Yeah, and they the, the fact that they beat the Cardinals in the 2015 playoffs, that's yes. really when it all started and Schwarber hit the long home run and they had attitude and swagger. Yeah, I, I agree with you because ultimately enjoyment of sports is based on emotion, which can obviously include hatred. And those guys were great and fun to hate. And that won't be there anymore. Rivalries are only great when there's hatred involved. And when Chris Bryant says St. Louis is boring, we hate him. Right. And if he's playing for the Mets, who are we going to hate on the Cubs? Yes, we'll hate the laundry. I get it. But it's just not as fun. Has there ever been a former St. Louis athlete that played for a team that tortured the St. Louis team that has been more benign than Jason Hayward? (laughs) It's a good one. No. I don't think so. I mean, there's a, there's never been a guy that we cared less about, right? Yeah, think about this. He chose to leave St. Louis to go to the Cubs. He gave the rain delay speech. He won a World Series there, and it doesn't feel like many people in St. Louis hate him. He steps to the plate in St. Louis, and we go, huh? Yeah, there's no reaction, really. No. That's actually a great call. Um, by the way, we just get a text from our resident Falcons guy, Anthony Stalter, mm-hmm. who says Kanye needs to move out immediately in all caps. <laughs> Only ludicrous can stand the 50-yard lines where the Dirty Birds kick for three. <laughs> Great point, Anthony. Uh, Thank you for that. Hello. What about Hammer? Anthony, he helped you get to the playoffs one time. Well, I think he's... I think he was Hammer then. Now he's MC Hammer again. Started off as MC Hammer, then went to Hammer. And I believe now he is MC Hammer again. So this is a Puff Diddy P Diddy Diddy situation? Exactly, Where right. we don't really know? Yeah. Now, he was a Falcons fan in 1991 when they just got smoked by the Redskins, so the Washington football team now in the playoffs. And their sideline consisted of uh, multiple uh, talent-laden musicians, but Hammer was kind of leading the charge at that point. Randy, you are correct. With? With Hammer. He, oh, he did okay. go by Hammer for a while. And now he's back to MC Hammer, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So Hammer glad, time. So glad we worked that out. I was confused and concerned. Yeah. Is Anthony getting back to us? Anthony says Hammer is always allowed. Okay, there we go. Just, so we're we're very, <laughs> we're uh, discerning which rappers are allowed to be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So we've determined Hammer and Ludacris. Yeah. Kanye, no. I wonder if they're fans of uh, the great... St. Louis producer, Metro Boomin, Parkway North grad. That's right. Metro Boomin is all over he's the scene. Big time. And he's in Atlanta and he is kicking butt. One of the great producers of a generation. Yep. He's great. Yeah. And he's he went to high school and graduated with Patrick. Amazing. Yeah. Shout out Metro Boomin. He's big time. We love him. Uh, Emily, thanks. I think, oh, yeah, we kind of ran out of time there. Maybe we get one. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got, I got a good one for you. Okay, here we go. From the 314, take it or leave it. If Rizzo was not a cub... You would like him. Take it. Oh, I'll definitely I like him, him anyway. I like him too. He's just too good. That's my problem. Yeah, he, he has these 40 pitch at bats against the Cardinals and then hits home runs. Great player. Great personality. You would love him if he was on your team. Yeah. Absolutely love him. Yep, he's classy. He's got a great smile and he's a great player. And he can Great win. story. Yep. Gold gloves. Yeah, he's cool. I, I think I would like him better on the Yankees than the Red Sox because I just like the Yankees better than the Red, the, than the Red Sox. But of all of those Cubs guys that I have emotion for, let's leave Jason Hayward out of the mix here. But 
I'm not a huge fan of Bryant. Baez can take or leave. I don't really like him as a player. But Rizzo, yeah, I'd say I want him on my side. The, yeah. the Cub I want most on my side is Kyle Hendricks. But number yes. two would be Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. By the way, when I was at the Cardinals-Cubs series uh, last week, was that last week? Yeah, last week. Saw several Cubs fans with T-shirts that said St. Louis is boring. We are. Yep. When you win so, 11 championships and about 20 pennants, you're in the World Series about 20% of the time. It does get boring. Yeah. But even though Chris Bryant might not be mm-hmm. with the Cubs, that line's going to live on for a while. Yeah, it is. Hey, I, I get it. And I, I, I hate the fact, Cubs fans, that you have to sit there at home and say, man, I'm so sick of the Cardinals being in the playoffs. I hate it because it does get boring for you, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, you've got Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. So should you have the folks from the ACC join now, too? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is 8.04 in St. Louis, 8.05. Now, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And, of course, the story of college sports over the course of the last four or five days has been the impending move of Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12 to the SEC. And Michelle, here we are. We are weeks away from the start of training camp for college football teams. And everything revolves around not SEC media day or Big 12 media day or Big 10 media day. Everything revolves around these two schools that are getting prepared to shake up the landscape of college football with a move to the SEC. Which is incredible because we thought that the name, image, and likeness rules that were now implemented by the NCAA were going to be the big storyline heading into this college football Mm -hmm. season. But leave it to Texas and Oklahoma by proxy to shake things up or to be the storyline. Isn't this what Texas always wants? is to be the big storyline yeah. in college athletics. Yeah, and hey, they'll be the big storyline once they start playing Alabama and Auburn and LSU on a regular basis. Things will change. They'll, they'll be a storyline. Now, the SEC will be 16 really strong athletic schools. Well, you got Vanderbilt in there. But you'll... <laughs> But you've got 16 really good schools in the SEC, and there's been much talk since last Friday about the possibility of super conferences, and ESPN's Jay Billis brings up the possibility of a super, super conference. The interesting part for me, Matt, is what's going to happen long term, because if if you're in this business now, you're going to have to start thinking bigger. Uh, Greg Sankey and the SEC are certainly doing that. Uh, if I were commissioner of the ACC, one thing I'd be thinking about is approaching the SEC and saying, look at all the natural rivals we have, rivalries we have mm-hmm. uh, in our conference. Why don't we start thinking about a merger? And uh, because that, that's what the SEC is going to become. It's going to become the NFL, a junior NFL and that's a junior right. NBA. And there's no reason why the ACC shouldn't jump in there and take advantage of those natural rivalries and markets. And if I were if I were Jim Phillips, I'd be ringing Greg Sankey's phone saying, how about a merger? That would be something. Now, is that doable? I think that's a little bit unwieldy because that's basically the power of college sports, isn't it? Granted, you have maybe four or five schools in the Big Ten that would be able to to dent 
on a football and base uh, basketball level, that SEC, ACC. But I, I know Jay Billis is saying think big. I think mm-hmm. that's too big. I appreciate that he's thinking outside of the box and with Texas and Oklahoma likely moving to the SEC, it is going to cause a lot of other dominoes to fall. And I think a lot of people have been looking down the road and wondering what the future alignment of college athletics, particularly college football, looks like. Is it going to be four big conferences, four super conferences? Is that eventually going to then evolve into two big conferences, on one on each side of the country? Maybe it goes right down the middle. I don't know. But the It makes me think, Randy, of the Super League and soccer and how against fans were. Mm -hmm. And it makes me just take a pause for a second. And I know that college athletics, particularly, again, college football, needs a little bit of a revamping because the NCAA has less jurisdiction now than they ever have. But I also don't think that you should take what are the two arguably preeminent or two of three preeminent college football conferences and merge two together to join one big Super League. I love college football. And is it so wrong to say that a lot of what we see out of college football right now is fine and that it shouldn't be tampered with? Maybe we shouldn't try to mess things up. I think the playoff has been so fun. Maybe there's talk of expanding that. But the Big 12 is going to be an issue that college football is going to have to deal with or college athletics I should say is going to have to deal with but thinking that you're going to merge two major conferences in the ACC and SEC and just kind of let the Big Ten Pac-12 and everybody else figure it out for themselves it doesn't feel right it feels like you're getting one big super league and that doesn't seem like the balance in college athletics would be fair and what Jay Billis said would be exactly right a junior NFL or a junior NBA because a merger like that would get you up to 16 teams in the SEC, 14 teams in the ACC, minus Notre Dame. That would get you up to 30, and then you add Notre Dame to that mix and another team, and you, you have 32 teams just like you do in the NFL. And to your point, then what what becomes of the Big Ten? Does it make sense for the Pac-12 to come to the Midwest and, and merge with the Big Ten? I do think that there does come a point where with college athletes you're asking a little bit too much if you are not going to require college athletes to go to school if you're going to be a junior nfl or a junior nba and let them just play sports in college then you can do things like that but i I believe that's too big i i think if you get to four 16 team conferences i don't even know if there are 64 i guess there are 64 teams where you could do four 16 team conferences but I do think a 30 or a 32 team league in college sports is too much. Don't you think that this is when, I don't know, the governing body in the NCAA should be in control? And they're clearly not. All of these conferences are taking and or schools are taking things in their own hands and they have the power, not the NCAA, which is why I do think there needs to be real discussions about what the construct of college athletics is going to look like moving forward. But at some point, if you're college athletics, don't you want stability? Don't you want mm-hmm. there to be some sort of an end game and then you keep it that way for a while? Yeah. Because it just feels like every couple of years there's all of this turnover and all of this change. And from a fan's perspective, I mean, my school is Illinois and they've been in the Big Ten and the Big Ten has made some changes, but it's pretty much the same. But 
you would just think at some point this is where there should be some sort of governing body that actually has control and will take the reins and say, this is what the ultimate goal is, whether it's four super conferences or whatever, and it's going to take a few years to get there, but I need everybody to be on the same page so that we can get the optimal result for college athletics. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like that's happening at all. And then it's the wild, wild west and so many different facets. Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, part of the allure of college athletics is the rivalry. It's Duke, North Carolina. It's Ohio State, Michigan. It's Alabama, Auburn. And it was Mizzou, Kansas. Pretty soon, it, it well, it was Oklahoma, Nebraska. It was or is going to be have been Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Those won't exist anymore. But here's what's happened. I used to think, I think we all naively thought that the NCAA was in charge. And I think until the last couple of decades, they have been. Then I thought it was the Power Five commissioners. Mm-hmm. And then the Power Five football teams, specifically the yeah. most powerful football teams. Now I really think the power of college sports lies in the SEC. It really doesn't matter what the Big Ten does. The SEC wants to go out and get Texas and Oklahoma? Fine. What what the Big Ten, what the Pac-12, what the ACC do? They just, they're following along with what the SEC wants to do. And realistically speaking, if the SEC did want to go get Clemson and Florida State, are Clemson and Florida State going to say no? Probably not. No. I believe that the power in college athletics rests solely in in the SEC football powers. Which just tells you how far college basketball has fallen. Yeah. And college basketball is still overseen by the NCAA. and that's, Because of the tournament? Yeah. And so that's how far the NCAA has fallen, too, in the space of about 20 years. But you're right. It, for a long time, there's at least been the illusion that these athletes are student athletes and that academics do matter and they do play a role because they are going to a university, even though we know that that's a very fluid concept, mm-hmm. uh, as depending on where you go to school. But if the entire intent here is just to shift everything so that it's going to be a feeder program to the NFL and the NBA and everyone's going to be making money off their name, image, and likeness. What is going to be the allure for these student athletes to care about the student right. part of that moniker? If they want to go to school, let them, but don't force them. Just let them, if they want to just play football, just let them play football because that's the reality of the situation. I'm with you. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take. Coming up, John Morosi, MLB Network, talking to MLB trade deadline on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals open a two-game series in Cleveland tonight. You can see the action on Bally Sports. This is 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. great to have you with us. And always great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and John Morosi of MLB Network and NHL Network, big hockey guy, joining us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Randy and Michelle, uh, doing well. A pleasure to be with both of you in the great city of St. Louis. How's everything going? We are enjoying ourselves, although this isn't isn't a typical Cardinal season. And this is a weird trade deadline for the Cardinals, John, because if they're going to sell, they only really have one guy to sell, and that would be Andrew Miller. But they really aren't in a position to buy either. Are you hearing anything at all about the Cardinals? The Cardinals are stuck. They are stuck. That that is where they are. And uh, so it seems right now like it's going to be a quiet deadline for them for all the reasons that you just mentioned. They are not in a strong enough position to be an aggressive buyer. They're also not a roster that is 
that is totally flawed either. Either they're just not playing that well right now. And, and I, I know that uh, it may not be a satisfying answer to give, but I think it's the reality of where they're at right now. They're they're not. This is not a team that needs a dramatic changeover and a and a reboot and and some sort of dramatic um, transformation at, at the deadline. They're probably not going to make the playoffs this year. They are. Uh, I think that the fundamentals of their team. We look at the future are still pretty strong with Arenado and Goldschmidt and, and Carlson and Edmund. There's there are some pieces to like, but I, I think that what we're seeing now is uh, the, the natural endpoint of this particular era of of the Cardinals from a standpoint of uh, maybe is this the last year of of Yachty in a Cardinals uniform? Is it the last year of Wainwright? We have to wait and see. Carpenter obviously uh, nearing the end of his contract. It's it's just a team that, for a number of reasons, has not clicked this year. And I think probably you'd have to say the the pivot point in their season was when Flaherty went on the IL. They really have not been the same team since Jack has been injured, and I, I think that probably was was the turning point in their season. John, it feels like the end point for the Cubs, too, or at least the Cubs have, as we've known them for the past few seasons. So when you look at that core of Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez, what do you think happens with all three of those guys? I expect Bryant to be traded. I think there's enough interest in him that, that he will be, uh, whether it's the Dodgers, uh, whether it's potentially the Mets. I think there are some larger payroll teams in the NL who have a natural interest in, in Chris Bryant, uh, maybe even in the same division, the Brewers. That I, I would not expect that, but I think that's one more team that's looking for a corner bat at the moment, so I, I would stay somewhat alert for that possibility. I think Rizzo is a unique option for teams like the Red Sox and Yankees, both of whom have not had a ton of production at first base this season. Baez is, is interesting because I think Javi is a, is a player who would have some interest and some uh, appeal at second base for a handful of teams. Does his price get to the point where a, a team that would be maybe not expecting to win the division this year, like Seattle, would they have interest in him at second base? I think that has to be one possibility that you would mention. Um, I would not expect Milwaukee for him, but he's someone who is just, Michelle, for me, just not not really hit consistently enough that he's regarded in the same sentence as someone like a Chris Bryant. So I, I think Baez might move, but I'm not as convinced that he will uh, in comparison at least to, to Bryant. And then I think on the pitching side of things, we've already seen Andrew Chafin go to Oakland. I think uh, Zach Davies, for me, is someone that has a lot of value as a stable uh, later part of the rotation arm who might even fit with a team like the Dodgers. Uh, I, I would not expect Hendricks to go, but I do think Kimbrell's going to go. I think Kimbrell, uh, interest there by the, by the Phillies most notably. So I, I think overall we're going to see a lot of changeover with the Cubs in the days ahead where it's time for them, I think, probably in a more dramatic way than the Cardinals to maybe draw the end of this chapter and, and – and future. You can watch MLB Network insider John Morosi across MLB Network's programming including weekdays on MLB Central at 9 o'clock St. Louis time. And John, you mentioned Kimbrell and notable, as you tweeted last night, that Taylor Rogers of the Twins left their game with an apparent hand injury. And Rogers is one of two real legit closers on the market, right? He and Kimbrell. I wonder if that injury increases the Cubs' leverage with Kimbrell. Very good point, Randy. I think it does. And uh, Rogers, it was a it was a very bizarre scene uh, late in the game last night against the Tigers, uh, where he was uh, on the mound and then all of a sudden uncorked one pitch that just didn't look didn't look comfortable. 
him, whether it was a blister or some other issue, and he left the game abruptly. And that that is, if you're the Twins, that's the worst kind of news at the worst kind of time. You don't want to get that news anytime, but especially not when the whole industry is watching him so carefully. So I think right now the, the Twins have to regroup a little bit, whereas the Cubs, to your point, have a little bit more leverage. And And I think the Cubs, interestingly, I would say, Randy and Michelle, one team to keep an eye on w- with the Cubs uh, would be the Dodgers. And the Dodgers, because of the uncertainty in their rotation, I, th- I think Davies has a-, a real fit there with-, with L.A. I also think Kimbrell does because of the concerns about Kenley Jansen. I also think Bryant has some value there, given uh, their-, their questions in their corner outfield spots with Mookie Betts now being on the I.L. So uh, could I see a, a dramatic uh, Really compelling, a large-scale trade. Kimbrel, Bryant, Davies. It's always hard to make one of those blockbusters that involves lots of players. But I was told in recent days uh, by Minnesota President of Operations Derek Falvey that teams out there have have a real appetite for those larger deals because it allows those selling clubs to access a higher level of prospect back. So rather than quantity back you're going to get quality back. And I think that's what those larger deals would allow you to do. John, one of the big names that we've discussed a lot is Trevor Story. Where do you think his likely landing spot is? You know, it's an interesting question, Michelle, because he he really, he's got a great brand name. He's been a very good shortstop for a long time in this league. I expect he'll do well in the free agent market, but he has not played that well this season. He has not played that well this year. You know, he's someone that the numbers and the consistency day-to-day hasn't been there. So, that's where I think he probably has greatest uh, uh, value to a club that could use him at another spot that's not necessarily shortstop. Uh, could he go to Milwaukee and play first base? Could he go to the Red Sox and play first base? Could he go to the Yankees and play first base? So I, I, I think he is someone that has a good chance to move, but I don't think of him as a shortstop right now. I'm just not seeing enough reliability day to day, and so that's why I think on a shorter-term deal, uh, teams like Milwaukee, the Yankees, and Red Sox actually might be the best landing spots for Trevor Story. Yankees are nine and a half back in the division, only three and a half back in the wild card. But based on what you have seen from the Yankees, what we've all seen from the Yankees, is it worth worth it for them? Let me put it this way. Are, even if they make deals, are they good enough to win a World Series? Is it worth it for them to rent a few guys? You know, great question, Randy. I, I think that if, if they get the right play in i i don't think that they're that far away from winning a wild card game and making a run i i look at garrett cole and say he is someone that that any team would not want to see on the mound against them in the month of october but the question is going to be who pitches game two and how consistent will they be is it is domingo herman their second best starter right now um what do they expect with Corey kluber's health going forward a lot of question marks right now. And their bullpen has been good, um, but maybe not as dominant as you would expect with Roldis Chapman having some inconsistencies here in recent days. So I, I think overall it's a team that is more than one player away, but these are things they could do if Brian Cashman really wants to be aggressive. The, the thing to me that stands out is their lack of left-handed power. They have the second-fewest home runs among left-handed hitters of any team in the American League, which is just not at all what you expect from the franchise that made its identity on uh, Ruth and Gehrig and, and Mantle as a switch hitter and Jackson. I mean, this is, 
these are the Yankees, and they're not hitting for power from the left side. It's just it's a, it's really an identity crisis for the New York Yankees right now. That's a great way to put it, John. Is there a team that we haven't mentioned here that we should keep an eye on that you expect to be active as we approach the trade deadline? I think as a seller, the Twins will be active. Uh, we, we've mentioned in the past Jose Barrios as a starting pitcher. He might be the best controllable starter, at least beyond the end of this year, who has moved. And then with the Nationals, uh, Max Scherzer, uh, of course, your, your na- native St. Louis, and I don't, I don't think he will be uh, going to the Cardinals necessarily, but I, I do believe that Max is someone who is uh, potentially going to move. And I would say those teams out west in the NL West, Padres, Giants, Dodgers, all being very active in, in both the Jose Barrios market as well as Max Scherzer. Yeah, you mentioned the Padres. It seems like A.J. Preller just wants 26 All-Stars, right? Sure. Well, A.J. <laughs> is someone who's always going to be active. And I'll tell you what, this is the value of a good farm system. When you have a number of highly regarded prospects who are all starting to arrive around the same time, you can package them in deals that are a two-for-one or a three-for-one because your rosters are so uh, are so abundant with prospects in the minor leagues that you can do that. So, yes, I think A.J. Preller is going to be very, very active on the buying side, and, and I think the more active sellers will be teams like the Twins, Cubs, and now potentially the Washington Nationals as well, in addition to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And one more question about San Diego and those teams uh, in the American League East, because they're right up against the luxury tax now. Is there a chance with the addition the other day of Frazier that they move Cronenworth to first and move Eric Hosmer out of there? Yes, that is a possibility, and I think it's one that a lot of people in the industry are watching very carefully. You're right, the luxury tax threshold and how you control that um, is now a pivotal part of being a GM, and you could see perhaps the Padres pay down that contract where where Hosmer becomes a $10 million player to somebody else or, or even a $12 million a year player to someone else. I think at that point in time, there would be interest and he would have some appeal across the industry. John, we know here in St. Louis, anytime you can get a $35 million a year player for $25 million and the other team's paying 10, it's a pretty good deal. I would say so, and that's uh, that's obviously part of the conversation. We'll see how things play out going forward. John Morosi, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and have a great trade deadline week. We love your work, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, Randy and Michelle, my pleasure. You've got the hockey free agency and trade deadline in the same week. It's my kind of week. I love it. Hey, we, we've got Vladimir Tarasenko here. We, we, we might have a lot of uh, And news. he could be moving out, right, depending on well, – if, if we see Tarasenko and Matt Scherzer traded in the same week, that, well, what, what a sports story that's going to be. <laughs> you got that right. Have a great day. Thank you. Uh, all the best. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. John Morosi, MLB Network, joining us on the Broad and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. And as we mentioned, you can watch John across MLB Network's programming, including weekdays on MLB Central at 9 in the morning. Coming up, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. It's time for the fight on Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Randy's challenger today is Dave. What's up, Dave? How's your Tuesday going so far? 
Oh, not too bad. How are you? We're doing well. We're cruising through the show today. I can't believe it's already fight time. Are you ready to take on Randy? Yes, yes. All right. Well, good luck to you, Dave. We're cheering for you. Question number one. First of all, we wanted to let you know that 101 ESPN has your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals versus the Braves on August 3rd. That game features an exclusive Bohart bobblehead giveaway. Which position did Bohart play in his two seasons with St. Louis? Shortstop, outfield, or second base? Hmm. Second base. Which Cardinal hit the most home runs in a single season in the 2000s? Scott Rowland, Albert Pujols, Jim Edmonds. Albert Pujols. Question number three, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are in the news. The team looks to come to an agreement with their longtime quarterback. Back in 2011, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers went 15-1 in the regular season. Who did they suffer their only loss to? Was it the Minnesota Vikings, the Chicago Bears, or the Kansas City Chiefs? We'll say Minnesota Vikings. And the Padres trade for utility man Adam Frazier officially went through yesterday, sending three prospects to Pittsburgh. Which SEC West school did Frazier play college baseball for? Was it Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU? Ole Miss. Okay. Score check here. Waving in Randy. Dave, where are you calling from today? Uh, Rock Hill. Awesome. Shout out to Rock (laughs) Hill. Randy is taking his mask off, getting settled in. You don't want to leave that on while you talk on the radio. Randy, uh, please say good morning to Dave. Dave, good morning. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you, Randy. Thank you very much for joining us. Great to have you. I'm going to lose, I think. <laughs> Come on, Come on Let's be positive here. Yeah. Sunshine. <laughs> positive thoughts yield positive outcomes. That's what they say. That's right. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, 15 and 65. That's oh. all I have to say. We weren't thinking positively during that stretch. <laughs> no, I can true. promise you that. That's true. We were thinking, oh, man, do we have to watch this game on Sunday? We were thinking that. Yeah, it was bad. Randy, before I, an- I ask you the question, I wanted to let you know, 101 ESPN has your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for yeah. the Cardinals versus the Braves on August 3rd. That night, they're giving away an exclusive Bohart bobblehead. Which position did Bohart play in his two seasons with St. Louis? He was a second baseman. Which Cardinal hit the most home runs in a single season in the 2000s? In the 2000s, it would have had to have been the year Albert hit 47. I'm going to go with that. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are in the news. As you know, Randy, the team and Rodgers looking to come to an agreement. Back in 2011, Rodgers and the Packers went 15-1 and mm. in the regular season. Who did they suffer their only loss to? Who did they lose to? 2011. Logic would dictate here that it was a game in the division and probably against the Vikings. Padres trade for utility man Adam Frazier officially went through yesterday, sending three prospects to Pittsburgh. Which SEC West school did Frazier play college baseball for? So he was SEC West. So he would have been Vandy, Mizzou. It wasn't Mizzou. We know that. Um, Florida. I'm just going through the schools here just for fun. 
Tennessee. I'm going to play the chalk here. I'll do the lifeline. What the heck? Was it Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU? Okay. Um, let's see. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU. Um, I will go with LSU. All right, dudes. We have a tie. All right. A tie between Randy and Dave. All right, Dave, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write down his answer on his sheet of paper. That Edward Jones Dome Rams sheet of paper yep. getting dangerously low. Um, I've got more where these came from. You Did, did you just take a ton of them hey, knowing the, it's going to be the last season there? No, it was eight games a year for many years. Oh, so see, I would just, I would just use the fo- same pad every game. Oh, they they gave you new ones though. Yeah, but every week it's in your folder. Yeah, yeah. I'm so just I take saying. my folder with the game notes and all of that there stuff, and it just happened to be there. All right. Anyway, I'm going to read the question. Dave, Randy's going to write down his answer. You're going to get first crack at this, and then Randy's going to reveal what he wrote down on his sheet of paper. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Here is your tiebreaker question for Randy and Dave. How many triples did the National League as a whole hit in the 2020 regular season? So this was last year, huh? How many triples did the National League as a whole hit in the 2020 regular season? Okay. Um, I'm figuring this out. I see, I'm seeing Randy carry the one. Doing, yeah, I did carry the one. Good job. Yeah, I always carry the one. Okay. I'm going to go with 242. 242 for Dave. Randy, your answer is 120. 120. Who won this fight? Emily, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. We heard that groan, Dave. I know it stinks to lose on the tiebreaker question. So close. But you guys both got two correct during the fight. So Bo Hart played second base in his two seasons with St. Louis. The Cardinal that hit the most home runs in a single season in the 2000s was Albert Pujols. 49 home runs in 2006. 49 home runs. Um, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers went 15-1 and in the regular season back in 2011, suffering their only loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Ah. Week 15 at Arrowhead. They lost 14 to 19. Wow. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Adam Frazier, the SEC West school that he played college baseball for, is Mississippi State. And your tiebreaker question was, how many triples did the National League as a whole hit in the 2020 regular season? Dave guessed 242. Randy guessed 120. The correct answer is 126. Wow. 126. So Randy was closer to the pin. He takes home the W. Dave, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us here on 101 ESPN. Interesting. What? That I just have no idea what conference uh, or what uh, division the SEC has. <laughs> I just have no idea. Well, I, was, I was thinking the Mizzou, Mizzou side, not the other side. Well, don't worry. You won't have to learn it until Texas and Oklahoma move in. Then so. it'll just kind of be the Big 12 division. Yeah, there you go. Right? You'll have, well, the Southwest Conference slash Big 12 because you'll have Arkansas. They were in a conference with Texas and then obviously Oklahoma and Missouri. So, and, uh, 
So, yeah, it'll be half. Half of your division will be old Big 12 slash Southwest Conference teams. Yes, ma'am. Can I clear my name real quick? Yeah, you can. Um, Several people have texted in saying that I've used this tiebreaker before. I have not. I don't recall that. No, I, I used how many triples have did the na- did the ML did MLB hit? This yeah. was just the National League. Yeah, I keep a log of everything that I do, so we don't repeat. That's good. So I just figured I, I you saw me carry the one. I saw you carry the one. I did fifteen times eight. Fifteen teams in the National League, and I figured about eight per team was on average. Pretty good logic. You were close. Thank you. Uh, That is the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Jim Sterk departs as the Missouri Athletic Director. He's going to stick around until they have a replacement. We're going to talk to Dave Matter, our friend from stltoday.com and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, about the departure of Jim Sterk next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. We got word late yesterday afternoon, and Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and stltoday.com had word on Twitter that the University of Missouri and Missouri Athletics Director Jim Sterk had mutually agreed that he will step down from his position once a new leader is found. And Dave Matter, who covers Mizzou so well for stltoday.com and the Post-Dispatch, joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. This shocked me when I got the email. Dave, did it shock you? Uh, I, I think timing was was surprising for sure. I, I'm not I'm not surprised that Jim Stark is not finishing out his term at Missouri. But yeah, I, I think the timing a little bit. Even even though then maybe the a little bit more I reflected on it um, made a little bit more sense the more I talked to some folks at the university. But, yeah, it did seem like a, a little bit out of nowhere, just considering, you know, recent interviews that Jim had done with me, especially just a few weeks ago, just about his enthusiasm and anticipation for the football season and, and things had been trending in the right direction. And then to see that he had mutually decided to step down, sometimes those decisions aren't as mutual as they might be presented as, uh, was, was, was surprising. Maybe not shocking, but surprising. Why, Dave, are you not surprised that Jim Sterk didn't fit, finish his tenure at Mizzou? Well, and I, I wrote this today. You know, he's got two years left on his contract at Missouri, and uh, I, I think it was fairly clear that he was not going to get an extension. Uh, he's, he's 65 years old. There's a lot of changes coming to college sports this summer and beyond, and especially within the SEC. And the more people I spoke to yesterday and last night, um, I, I think there's folks that the high ranking end of the university that just believe that Missouri needs uh, maybe bolder, more dynamic leadership to confront a lot of these things that are coming at them. And I, I, everyone liked and respected Jim, but I think there was some a bit of a, a power struggle that might be putting it a little um, stronger than it was, but I, this was evident back when, when Eli Drinkwitz was hired and that hiring process unfolded. Um, Moon Choi, who is now both the president and chancellor of the university, the university system, um, is, is somebody that, you know, I, I think likes to be a visible face of the university and, and be involved in major things. And the board of curators at Missouri, no matter who serves on that board, is always very interested in, in being involved in a lot of the decisions that happen. Um, and I, I just think there's a lot a lot of challenges in Missouri's way, and they see this as an opportunity to bring in somebody new 
to take on a lot of these challenges. Dave Matter of the Post-Dispatch and STLToday.com. And Dave, you mentioned that Jim Sterk is 65. Does newer necessarily mean younger? And when they talk about bold and visionary, is part of that just younger? Well, I I don't think they're going to, you know, look at candidates only that fit a certain age demographic. But I I do think that's kind of where these these jobs, when you're looking for those qualities, sort of trend. Um, You know, they hired the youngest head coach in the SEC, uh, SEC football, just a little over a year and a half ago. Um, and, and that seems to be working out. You know, I, I get the I get the feeling that Missouri at the university level would love to go out and hire the Eli Drinkwitz of athletic directors. Now, those, you know, you, you can you can try that and not necessarily hit on, on what you're looking for. Um, but I think that would be sort of the model, not necessarily a 37 year old, um, but but somebody who is on the way up as far as their career trajectory goes and somebody that has, you know, the energy, the vision. Um, all of those qualities that you need to take on what it looks to be a much bigger, bolder, stronger SEC than it was you know, just a week ago. So for Mizzou fans, are there any names that have emerged that they should pay attention to as potential replacements for Jim Sterk? Well, I think there's some obvious candidates out there. I don't know if it's going to be the same uh, folks that, that Moon Choi and the curators will look at, but I think there's some people they really should look at. I think it starts with Mark Allnutt a former Missouri football player, longtime administrator, worked under Gary Pinkle and Mike Alden, is now the athletics director out at University of Buffalo. Uh, not too long ago, he was the AD at Southeast Missouri State. I, he is a guy that I know I, I know pretty well, and I know that this is a, a dream job of his, if he would ever have a chance at it. And I think he's done a really good job at Buffalo. We don't talk about Buffalo very much here in, in, the, in, the, in Missouri and in the SEC, but it's, it's a really good Mid-American Conference program, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think Ren Baker makes a lot of sense, somebody who was at Missouri for a short time under Mac Rhodes, now the AD at North Texas. He is wildly popular, and he was when he was at Missouri as the number two man in charge of the athletics department and is, is really a great, renowned fundraiser. I think he makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people that don't necessarily have Missouri ties that, that could come out of nowhere for this job. I mean, Jim Stark didn't have Missouri ties. Uh, Mac Rhodes, when he was hired, didn't have Missouri ties. Eli Drinkwood didn't have Missouri ties. So I think we sometimes we fall into this trap of looking for somebody with Mizzou ties. Uh, and that's, that's not always how these things shake out, especially when you have, you know, somebody making the hire that isn't, you know, a, a lifetime a, a Mizzou lifer like, like Moon Joy would be. One other name with Mizzou ties, Dave, is Doug Gillen at App State, who happened to hire Eli Drinkwitz yeah. there for his first head coaching job. And obviously, like you say, and I agree with you 100%, some, most times Mizzou ties shouldn't be the difference maker. But here's another guy that just seems logical. Is he a name that uh, is that you've heard that might be in the mix? Yeah, if, if he's somebody that, that Eli Drinkwitz will vouch for, and he, he obviously hired him at Appalachian State, he only worked with him for a little less than a year before he left there to take the Missouri job. But he is uh, pretty well respected. He was at Missouri for a while. He was he was here during the Big 12 to SEC transition. So he does have a little bit of that institutional knowledge of, of the university, which I think can be really valuable when it comes to these kind of things. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely would include him as, as somebody to look for in, in this search. One reason that I was surprised, because you get the same emails that we do, Dave, and it seems like every week there's a, an anonymous double-digit million-dollar donor that is contributing to this new indoor practice facility. And last year, 
Jim Sterk was able to raise $55.5 million for Mizzou. He has done, in that regard at least, a really good job for the Tigers, hasn't he? He has. His, his whole administration has. And I think Ryan Alpert, who is the WAD for external operations, I think he gets, should get a lot of credit for that. Also, he is he's really Missouri's money man when it comes to raising funds. And he is still the number two right now. I don't, I, I don't know if he would stick around. I think it would be wise to keep him in the fold because he's very responsible for raising a lot of that money. And, and Jim too gets credit because he's, he's the, uh, he's the man in charge for sure. And was the man that brought Brian to work for him in, in the athletics department. They have done a good job of raising money. Um, but you know, that's just part of the job description being an sec AD. So I don't, a lot of the things that have happened under Jim's watch and, and, and under everybody's watch at Missouri, when you're, when you elect to go into the sec and, and Gary Pinkle warned everybody about this over a decade ago, um, you don't get extra credit just for doing the job. You know, this is what you have to do to be relevant and, and to survive in the SEC. And I think Jim did. He deserves credit. He, he's done a nice job of getting the facilities that the coaches want and, and using the resources that Missouri has to, uh, you know, stay afloat in this conference. Dave, when I'm reading your piece and just everything you just mentioned about the SEC, I see things like, they need to, this new athletic direct, director needs to be a visionary that helps Mizzou achieve exceptional success in the SEC. You have a quote that says they're looking for the next great leader who will position Mizzou as a force in the SEC. Is there a goal or a certain designation that they're looking for within the SEC, or is it just kind of one of those, you know it when you see it? Because I, I wonder yeah. if the monetary part of Jim Sterk's job, which we just said he did a great job with, isn't enough. What is then the end goal? Yeah, I, I think it's it's finding ways to capitalize on all the things that are happening right now in college sports and not just standing pat and letting them happen. You know, the name image likeness issue is something that is happening to athletics departments in, in this country right now and especially in the SEC. But how are you going to get involved in this? How are you going to make this work for you? Really get engaged in the process and turn it into something that helps you as far as recruiting you know, your next wave of athletes. Um, that is something that I, I think this next leader is going to have to really tap into. You can't just let these forces happen on your watch. You have to be involved with them and make them work for you. Missouri doesn't have the natural resources of a lot of the programs that it competes against in the SEC. They just don't. It's it's not just the demographics. It's, it's the money. It's the numbers. And it's, it's the long-term resources that Missouri just hasn't had. Uh, and you've got to find ways to um, not just spend the money wisely, but really get on board with a lot of these changes that are happening across college sports. And not to say that Jim wasn't doing that or couldn't do that, but you know the people that make the decisions, uh, they want to see somebody in that spot that can really, really take advantage of everything that's going on in college sports right now. Dave Matter, a lot of speculation on social media that this is a reaction to Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC. Uh, my, my expectation would be that this Sturk situation was probably in the works, not that Mizzou didn't know about it, but the, the Sturk situation, it would appear to me to be independent of Texas and Oklahoma moving to the conference. Would you read it that way? Well, I, I think Texas and Oklahoma moving to the conference just adds to the urgency that Missouri feels to really have a bold, dynamic leader in place there. So I don't think it's a reaction to it, but I do think that reflects the situation that Missouri is in right now. It's going to be harder to compete. It's going to be harder to win championships than to stay relevant 
in a league that is adding two brand name, you know, superpower type programs. I mean, let's face it also too. Missouri has been on par with what Texas has been for the last decade in terms of just wins and losses. Oklahoma's in another stratosphere success wise, but just adding two programs like that, that very well could be on Missouri's schedule every year um, just makes this job harder, but also that opens up opportunities. You have the chance now to, to, to play those teams on your schedule. Um, You have the chance to, capitalize on those opportunities in front of you. And I think it just kind of adds another layer to how challenging this AD job is and, and how underscores, you know, just how badly they want somebody in position there that can really, you know, take Mizzou to the next step. Dave, one last thing from me has what Eli Drinkwitz has done in terms of recruiting and having the good season last year under the circumstances, given him enough clout in the president's office and with the board of curators that they'll go to him and ask for his input about a new AD. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be in the dark on this one. Um, he is he is somebody that I know that the, the Board of Curators, or at least a segment of the Board of Curators, um, really stands behind. And they were the ones who uh, you know went to bat for him when it was time to get this indoor facility that he said that he wanted before they even hired him. This is, you know, they went to him in, back way back in December of 19 uh, when it was, time to look for a head coach and said, what are some things that you want? And he said, well, I, you know, I want a, a indoor practice facility at Missouri if you're going to hire me. And they made that happen pretty quickly. Uh, so, yeah, he is going to – I wouldn't say he's going to be pulling the trigger here or making the decision or making the hire, but he's not going to find out with a press release or a tweet. I think he will be <laughs> – He'll be kept in play here on whatever that decision ends up being. Hey, Dave, you always do fantastic work covering Mizzou. Nobody is as tight in as you, and we always love getting you on the show when things like this happen. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate okay. it, and have a great day. Thanks, guys. See you. Dave Matter, you can read his great work at stltoday.com. You should get a subscription. You can sign up online, and, of course, you can always pick up a newspaper, too. I love that Mizzou really wants to go for it and push themselves to be on a certain tier in the SEC. And what Dave said about being proactive and not reactive, that's what you're going to need. When I think of dynamic and I think of the SEC, of course you think of winning. But to be a program that's at the forefront of all of these changes and not just waiting for them to happen is going to be crucial if you want to compete in the SEC. They, at Mizzou, whoever did make this move they appear to have an understanding of what this undertaking entails. And it's very difficult. In fact, I would say it's nearly impossible to reach a consistent top 10 level if you haven't been there for 30, 40, 50, 100 years. When you look at Alabama, they, they were great with Bear Bryant back mm-hmm. in the, the 50s. When you look at Clemson, they won championships in the 70s and were good before that. Ohio State has been good forever. Notre Dame has been good forever. A&M has been good for the better part of the last half century. Oklahoma has been good forever. Florida has been good ever since Spurrier got there. So we're talking... Uh, 80, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. So we're talking uh, 40 years for Florida. Cincinnati has made their way in and mid-major, certainly. Georgia's been good forever. Iowa State, Matt Campbell has made some inroads there. But are they a consistent title contender? Absolutely not. So what I'm saying is, is when you look at the Blue Bloods, it's hard to really get into that realm of the Blue Bloods. But at least Mizzou is trying. You have to give them credit, credit for that. Absolutely. It's hard to do. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN.
How do the Cardinal current outfielders stack up against the guys that we talk about every week and guys the Cardinals had but didn't need and now are killing it for other teams? How do the current guys stack up with them? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Kierker and Smallman, 101 ESPN. It's 9.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So Michelle is in the market for a new house, and you need to find a house, Michelle, that has the perfect color paint that you're looking for. I see that on House Hunters all the time. It's a really important thing. Where they don't want the home because they don't like the paint color? Yeah. Uh, How wacky is that? I love watching House Hunters because it'll be a couple, and he'll be a musician and she'll be a, an art teacher and their budget is 2.2 million dollars <laughs> yeah, right. in the bahamas <laughs> and then they they want to spend two million dollars on their vacation home but they don't think they have the money to buy someone to paint the interior right or i hate this carpet <laughs> well, right get, get new carpet get new carpet your budget is two million dollars <laughs> i think you can afford it or maybe go down a little bit and then do the renovations it's not that hard do you think that the, all those people are just actors that they pay to go showcase these homes i don't know if they're actors but i think that probably they're not it's not all real it's not all reality tv but the occupations that these home buyers have i'm it'll be I'm they're they're investing think. wisely, Michelle. I work at a car wash, and she's an energetic healer. Yeah. In no disrespect, but then why is your budget $3 million? And we want a beachfront home. But I just want more of the backstory. If this is what you guys do, where did you get the capital to have a $3 million vacation home? Tell me your story. I think we need that backstory. I want it. I want to know, is is his family yeah. wealthy? Did Are you an heiress? Did you heal the energy of someone famous who, and then you got a windfall of cash? Remember, I want to know these things. Remember on VH1, behind the music? Of course. Behind the house hunters. Behind we're, the we're buyers. The, we're, we're the producers. Oh, let's do that. There we go. I really want to know how people make their money. It's very intriguing to me. We know how Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill are going to make their money by hitting baseballs. Yeah, that's right. Or sensational catches in center field yeah. and left field. We have rather ad nauseum. But it's been fun. Complained about the Cardinals having Randy Rosarena and having him depart, having Adolis Garcia and having him depart, having Randall Grichik and Tommy Pham and having them depart. Mm-hmm. But, Michelle, it's interesting now to look at the numbers and see where Bader, O'Neill, and Carlson stack up with the guys that the Cardinals got rid of. Interesting how the tables turn. It is. And obviously, this is over the last couple of weeks. But if you look at the season totals of all of those players we just mentioned and look at OPS, which is something the Cardinals look at as a gauge of offensive ability. And I think most of baseball does. OPS is important on base plus slugging of all of those players we mentioned the highest OPS belongs to. Harrison Bader at 866, a 358 on base, a 507 slug. Tyler O'Neill right behind him with an 857 OPS. He's got a 331 on base and a 526 slug. And then what's really interesting is when you get to Dylan Carlson, the rookie, who has a 336 on base, 409 slug, 745 OPS. 
and he's essentially the same hitter as Randy Rosarena. Dylan Carlson in his rookie year, 336 on base, 331 for Rosarena. 409 slug for Carlson, 420 for Rosarena. 745 OPS for Carlson, 751 for Rosarena. 10 homers, 41 RBIs for Carlson, 13 homers, 46 RBIs for Rosarena. And even the, the strikes and walks, Strikeouts and walks. Carlson, 102 strikeouts. Rosarena, 104. Uh, Carlson, uh, 41 walks. And Rosarena, 35. So the, they're essentially the same hitter. Dylan Carlson and Randy Rosarena and Bader o- and o- O'Neill are better than both of those guys. And in regards to Carlson, this is just the very beginning of his career. Imagine right. what those numbers could look like if he gets some seasoning on him. But should we... Uh, motion randy to rename the segment players the cardinals kept that are killing it for them yes yeah we'll have to do that every week <laughs> because if we are going to talk about randy rose Rana, tommy fam all of these other players that the cardinals did move on from when they're doing well we do then need to give them credit when bader o'neill and carlson are succeeding and adolis garcia who did have a great first half he wound up making the all-star team but since the second half started, Garcia has not been what he was in the first half. Now, Randall Grichik is a really nice player, and I think he'd be a good guy to have. The Cardinals desperately need a fourth outfielder, yes. which is what the Blue Jays' plan for Grichik was when they signed George Springer. And he's a guy that has a only a 282 on base, a 463 slug, 745 OPS, 18 homers, 63 RBIs. He's perfectly served as a fourth outfielder. But our point here is that what the Cardinals need now is not a starting outfielder. They need a fourth outfielder. And how good does it feel to say that? Because how many years did we talk about the outfield carousel and not really know who was going to be the guys when the music stopped? Well, and go back just over the years. I remember the opening day of 2017 when they had Gritchick, Fowler, and Piscotty. And I thought, man, this group's going to be here for four or five years. And I don't think they even lasted two. No. And this young group, hopefully, will be able to to keep things together. The other guy that we regret the Cardinals losing, and it would have been nice to have him for the last couple of years, is Tommy Pham, who's doing a great job as a leadoff hitter for the Padres, hitting 373. although they kind of traded for his replacement as a leadoff hitter in Adam Frazier. Mm -hmm. He's got a 792 OPS, 11 homers, 35 RBIs, and he struck out 82 times, but he has walked 55, which is more than any of these guys. So Tommy Pham is still a nice player. Our point here is that the young Cardinal players that they wanted to evaluate and they felt better about than the guys they got rid of, for the most part, those three are either as good or appear to be on a trajectory to be better than the guys they got rid of. So congratulations to the Cardinals on that. And sorry, never mind. Well, let's see how they finished out the year. Yeah. Let's see if at the end of September, we are looking at this list and Bader O'Neill and Carlson are at the, the top three guys on this list. I think they're capable of doing it. And if so, then we need to have an entire segment called We're Sorry. Yeah. Who do you feel best about among the three Cardinal outfielders? Who do you think is the most real of the three? That is a great question. Right now, I feel the best about Harrison Bader. Because mm-hmm. the thing about Harrison Bader is you always knew what you were going to get from him from a defense, defensive standpoint. It was always a question of can he consistently put it together offensively. And the fact that you're seeing that now, you know he's capable of it, which is very exciting. But I would think if I'm looking at a player for the future – you have to feel like Dylan Carlson is someone that can emerge into a great player for the Cardinals that they'll have for a long time. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think that what we're seeing from Harrison Bader in the second half is a fluke. But that being said, 
the guy I feel best about for the long term, heck, he's only 21 years old, is Dylan Carlson, who, as we mentioned, is essentially the same player as Randy Arozarena. And Arozarena last year in his rookie year did better. But right now, now that people have a line on him in terms of watching tape and knowing what he does, knowing what his tendencies are, I think it's really interesting to look at those two and say, wow, Dylan Carlson doing as much as Randy Rosarena is. So does that mean that when the Cardinals, at some point in his career, get into the postseason, that he's going to be the hottest baseball player walking the face of the earth? Because yes. that's what Randy Rosarena was. Yeah. And a switch hitter. Yeah, yeah, he's going to hit like 20 home runs during the postseason. Good. Looking forward to that. I mentioned that I, I want to give you these numbers just because I, I did mention that Adolis Garcia struggling in the second half after making the all-star team in the first half. Michelle, he's got a batting average of 125 and an OPS. His OPS, Adolis Garcia's second half OPS, is 301. Whoa. Yeah, no homers and uh, no RBIs in the second half. He's kind of scuffling. We love sports because there's so much emotion tied to it, and it's fun to react one way or another in the immediacy of a move or when a player goes on a hot streak like a Randy Rosarena or a Garcia for us Mm -hmm. to be upset about it because the Cardinals had them at one point. But it's really unfair to do that because you have to look at the long play. You have to think, how is this going to work out in the long run? And if Bader O'Neill and Carlson end up working out for the Cardinals and Matthew Libertor emerges into a force for them, A-plus Cardinals, right? And we might think Twitter... Keyboard warriors might think that they're smarter about baseball than John Mozeliak. I'm telling you, you aren't. I'm not. Michelle, you're not. What? If you're a Twitter warrior, you aren't. I'm sorry to tell you this, but John Mozeliak is better at that job than you are, and we are. And if you don't think he is, he did get you Nolan Arenado. He did. Uh, just for comparison's sake. And just, Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, he, he's done pretty well with he's, that kind of stuff. He's gotten some good, some good guys. Uh, second half, Harrison Bader. 457 average, 513 on base, 714 slug, 1.227 OPS. All right, that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, stick around for You're Killing Me, Smalls, with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. You're Killing Me, Smalls, coming up momentarily, but we've got tickets for you. 101 ESPN with your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cards Braves on August 3rd. And we're going to give those tickets away in just a moment. But you need to know the next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Bohart bobblehead. The winner must be 21 and over. Tickets courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. Get all the details for next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash at cardinals.com slash promotions. All right, your chance to win. And it's going to be texter number 53. Okay. 1953, when the Cardinals were purchased by Anheuser-Busch, what did they want to change the name of Sportsman's Park to? What was the name of what became Bush Stadium going to be but baseball wouldn't let August Bush do it. So give us that. Be t- texture number 53 with the right answer, and you will be headed to the Budweiser Bash next Tuesday. Mm. I heard some emphasis in there. Mm. Mm, just saying. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, we need to kick off this segment with some big, and I mean big, breaking news. 101 ESPN Breaking News Alert. Aaron Rodgers has reported to camp. 
They have it down to the minute. Rob Domofsky, 8.28 a.m. Central Time. On Tuesday, July 27th, Aaron Rodgers entered the facilities at Lambeau Field. 8.28 a.m. It's a big story, and we needed to know that it was 8.28 a.m. because this will go down in the history books. What time Aaron Rodgers arrived at camp? I bet we don't have what time Tom Brady arrived at camp for the Bucks, and he happened to win the Super Bowl. But Aaron Rodgers arrives in Green Bay, and we know the time because he is a Packer quarterback. Now, I will say this. In the article on ESPN.com, Rob Domoski has it as 8.28 a.m., I, we have TVs in the studio, and up on SportsCenter earlier, they had 9.30, or excuse me, 8.31 a.m. So there's two different times being floated out there. I would like the accurate time. Was it 8.28 or was it 8.31? What time did Aaron Rodgers' first toe land on the premises in Green Bay? That's the time I want. He was walking slowly. We saw the video from the jet copter. Yeah, had a great little half-up man bun hairstyle going on. He was walking so slowly, Michelle, that I'm guessing that he could have gotten out of his black Suburban at 828 and walked through through the door at Lambeau Field at 831. Interesting. Well, he is there. And this comes after the news that we got last night from Adam Schefter that reported that there's an end to this big saga during the offseason. And Adam Schefter said that there is going to be an agreement between Rodgers and the Packers. Clearly him reporting. It seems like that has come to fruition. But it includes several concessions to Aaron Rodgers, including a void of the final year of his contract in 2023 that essentially sets up a possible trade for after this season. So that makes this year, 2021, as he posted on his Instagram story, the possible last dance for Rodgers and Green Bay. Did you say a possible trade? Possible trade. Packers win. Why? Because of the word possible? Yeah, they, they still hold all the cards here. And they get another year to develop Jordan Love or find out whether or not Jordan Love can play. And they get another good year out of Aaron Rodgers. And he's going to be 38. And I would imagine a highly motivated Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I would think so. He's always got that intensity burning inside. We know how competitive he is. But to think that he was so close to the Super Bowl last season that he's been angry and stewing all offseason, that he knows this is his last chance to win in Green Bay and that it's essentially a a full-season tryout for him and other teams to establish his Mm -hmm. value, it's a pretty interesting cocktail. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be really compelling to see what happens. And the first day, How he is received by his teammates is going to be really interesting. They love him. And I imagine that they know that their best chance to win is with him. And it's all about business. Yeah, it is. At the end of the day, it's business. I don't know if he's been in communication with them in the offseason, but if he talked to them, I'm sure it was putting their minds at ease that I'm just doing what I need to do to position myself to have the best success possible. And if you're a teammate, how can you fault him for that? And he's back. Yeah. He has uh, spoken because Bakhtiari said he spoke to him. Obviously, Devontae Adams, he's been in touch with him. So some of the guys, I'm sure the main guys, he's been in touch with. And he was hoping that he could get out of there. But one more year. One last dance. Yep. You're killing me, Smalls. Some major news coming out of the Olympics this morning, Randy. Simone Biles pulled out of the team competition at the Tokyo Olympics. And... She went for the vault, one of the best, if not the, she's the best in the world. And she had planned to do a Yurchenko with two and a half twists. She only did one and a half twists and stumbled on the landing. She had a low score of 13.766. Russia went on to take the gold and people were wondering what happened with Simone Biles. We've just been told that 
In regards to Simone withdrawing, it is not injury-related. Injury Her coach apparently said it's a mental issue that Simone is having. Which? So we don't know what that means, but that is, that's all we've been told at this point. And that is still something that is very important to her. She's not just an athlete. Keep that in mind. Mental health is real. It's a certain issue with many people, pretty much everybody. You, you need to have mental health. And she did put on social media a couple of days ago, Michelle, that she felt the weight of her world, of the world on her shoulders and said this pressure in the Olympics, it's real. I have the actual Instagram posts that she posted yesterday, as you mentioned. She said, it wasn't an easy day or my best, but I got through it. I truly do feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders at times. I know I brush it off and make it seem like pressure doesn't affect me, but damn, sometimes it's hard. The Olympics is no joke, but I'm happy my family was able to be with me virtually. They mean the world to me. So, obviously, she is having problems mentally dealing with the pressures of the Olympics and our hope is a that she is able to achieve mental health and also that she's able to achieve her dreams she's worked really hard for five years to try to defend her gold medals and now she'll have the opportunity if she's healthy enough to participate in the individual competition as you mentioned and the USA won silver the Russian team winning gold and uh, we just have to hope for the best for her I do hope we see her again. And I know that whatever she's dealing with, it's probably not something that's going to be easy to overcome. But to think about how hard she worked for the past five years because the Olympics were delayed a year because of the pandemic. And to think that this is the last time that she's going to get that opportunity to perform. I just would hate to to not have her be able to compete. But physically, mentally, whatever she's dealing with, I hope she's able to overcome it. And if she is as aware as we are, she has to know that she is the face of a team of several hundred members, an Olympic team. And essentially, right now, at the end of July 2021, kind of the face of the country. And think about the pressure that you would feel yeah. if you knew that. Right. And my guess is she probably does. Oh, she does. I mean, yeah. she has to know. She's Her face has been plastered everywhere. On right. every ad for the Olympics, it's Simone Biles yeah. that you've seen. She's the star. Yeah, and that's enormous pressure. And then the expectation, well, you're the best ever. You're the GOAT. We know you're going to win all these gold medals. You're going to win a silver. You're going to just win golds. That's got to be tremendous pressure, too. And as you mentioned, she had her career low score in the vault, which she's spectacular at. And I'm sure that when she did, and by the way, she had, didn't have the best uh, qualifying either. Right. So I, I would have to believe that she was kind of concerned about the per performance she was going to turn out. You're killing me, Smalls. Another note from the Olympics, Randy. For only the second time since 1992, China did not win the gold in table tennis. They are no way. a force, a dynasty. Think yeah. about that. For only the second time since 92, they didn't win. Japan actually snapped China's decades-long run of dominance. They won Monday in the mixed double final. And before this loss, China had been more dominant in table tennis than really any country in any event, even the USA in basketball. They had won 28 of 32 table tennis gold medals since the sport's 1988 entry into the Olympics. That's phenomenal. Now, I want to go back because can you imagine how you can play mixed doubles table tennis and not run into each other? No. 
you have to have such spatial awareness. Yeah, right. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. So good for Japan. Congratulations, the home team, as they end a dynasty, and which was a better dynasty than the Cubs dynasty. You just had to get that in there, didn't you? Yeah, because it came to my mind. I don't blame you. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Well, speaking of that, there are a lot of reports about one of the members of that Cubs dynasty and a surprise member, and Anthony Rizzo, and that he might actually get moved before the trade deadline as well. There were speculations, obviously, about Chris Bryan and Javi Baez, but a lot of people thought maybe Rizzo would be the lone member of that core to remain in Chicago. But Buster only has a prediction that the Red Sox are going to acquire Anthony Rizzo. He started his career in their organization. I believe he was drafted by the Theo Epstein regime there, traded to the Padres, traded to the Cubs. They need a first baseman that can hit, and especially a left-handed hitter with a pesky pole down the right field line. He would be a perfect fit for that team. They don't need much, which is shocking, because I didn't expect the Red Sox to be any good. I don't think anybody did. But, man, if they can get a left-handed slugging first baseman with the way that J.D. Martinez is hitting Devers and Bogarts on the left side of their infield, they're uh, Jason Verdugo, the guy they got for Mookie Betts, is having a really good year. They're stunningly good. And if they get risen, I think they'll probably be the favorites to represent the American League over uh, in the World Series over Houston. How frustrating do you think it is for the Yankees to watch the Red Sox continuously find a way to have success? Yeah, you think about the Red Sox have, since the Yankees' last, uh, second last World Series appearance, the Red Sox have won four and the Yankees have won one. That's got to drive them crazy. And have been considerably more competitive even when they've had to tear it down and build it up. That's the thing. I believe they finished in third in last place three times in that time. The Yankees have never had a losing record. They're kind of like the Cardinals. So yeah, that has to get troubling. If if you're the Cardinals, imagine if the Cubs would have won four World Series rather than just one. That's the way it is for Yankee fans. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. When not only you expect your organization to set the standard and you're not the standard, but your hated rival is in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at I mean, they're the most successful organization in baseball over the past 10 years, no doubt, right? Yeah, over the last two decades, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, last two yeah. decades. So, yeah, that's going to sting if you're a Yankees fan. You're killing me, small. But the Yankees are still going for it, Randy. Finally, they made an offer, according to John Heyman, for Trevor Story. There's no evidence of any traction there at this point. I'm reading the tweet from Heyman. The Rockies haven't definitively decided to trade him, though it would seem that there's a good chance they do. Heyman also tweeting that the Brewers have also checked in on Trevor Story. And the Brewers talking about playing him in center field. My guess would be that the Yankees would probably put him in at short and move Torres over to second base and then LeMahieu over to first. And that would solve their first base problem, although LeMahieu hasn't had a very good offensive year. But I do think it's interesting that the Yankees are in the market for him. And I have to believe that if they trade for him, they're going to try to get that big money extension, too. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thanks for joining us here on 101 ESPN. So Aaron Rodgers is in camp with the Packers for the last dance. But after the last dance, what happens next? Michelle and I have some ideas coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Aaron Rodgers in camp with the Packers, but we are presuming this is perhaps 
the last dance for him with Green Bay. Maybe, maybe not. And Michelle and I are going to give our top three destinations. Michelle, tell me if you agree with this before we get to our top three destinations. Okay. Okay, so here's the teams that I have in as possibilities. If Tom Brady retires the entire NFC South, I could see the Panthers. They were interested this offseason. Falcons, definitely, with Matt Ryan's age. Uh, the uh, Bucks and uh, who am I leaving out in that division? Oh, the Saints. The Saints. Possibilities. In the NFC East, Washington can use a quarterback. Philly could use a quarterback. Giants, Dallas doesn't. And then the Packers would not trade him to the NFC North. And you look at the NFC West with Wilson, Stafford, Kyler Murray, and then the Trey Lance selection by San Francisco. Nobody in the West or North is getting him. So we've got seven possibilities in the NFC. In the AFC, I've got the Dolphins, our Dolphins, as a possibility. Love that. I've got the Steelers as a possibility. I've got the Texans as a possibility, although he probably wouldn't want to go there. Broncos and Raiders. Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati are set. The Patriots won't give him that power. They wouldn't let Tom Brady have that power. Uh, the, the Jets and Bills are set with quarterbacks. The Colts and Jags appear to be set financially with quarterbacks and with a top pick in the draft. And then the Chiefs and Chargers are set as well. So I've got a total of a dozen teams that are possibilities. you agree? I agree, and I'll take it a step further. I think there's only maybe four or five teams in the league that shouldn't be in on Aaron Rodgers because they're so solidified at their quarterback position. Obviously, the Chiefs aren't going to be in the mix. Mm -hmm. Seattle, if Russell Wilson is still happy, not in the mix. I would imagine the Jaguars are out because of Trevor Lawrence. Who else would you throw in there? But any other team that has even a slight question mark at quarterback, I would imagine would at least pick up the phone and inquire about Aaron Rodgers. But you have to be pretty close, too. You don't want to have a 39-year-old for a rebuilding team. Right? Right. So, like the Jets. I I think the Jets will probably stick with Zach Wilson rather than make a move for... uh, for But don't you think they should at least call? Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they should should make the call. Shoot your shot. Yeah, but... He's not going to be interested, but I'd at least try. Exactly. All right, so we have each picked our three possible destinations. Number one. Randy, when I look at teams that have a big-time question mark at quarterback and that Aaron Rodgers would be a great fit for, I really circle one team, and that's the New Orleans Saints. When Drew Brees decided to retire, I think a lot of people wondered, will it be Jameis Winston or will it be Taysom Hill? And both options aren't that great. No disrespect. I know that Sean Payton believes that Taysom Hill can be a winning quarterback and they believe that they can extract the best out of Jameis Winston. But we know that he's turnover prone. We know who who Jameis Winston is at this point. And when I think about leaving Green Bay... He's going to want to win, and he's going to want to win in a place that matters, like it matters in Green Bay. And why not go play for someone like Sean Payton, who has the pedigree, and win in a place like New Orleans? When you win in New Orleans, it's unlike winning anywhere else. And I think he would be a great fit in New Orleans. That's a great call, Michelle. My number one is our Miami Dolphins. You know, Tua struggled last year, said he didn't know the offense, which is built to win right now. If Tua doesn't lead Miami to the Super Bowl, and he probably will, they are a team with a young quarterback and tons of draft capital to make the move for Rodgers. The other thing about Miami is that Rodgers could get the power that he wants and the climate that he desires. He wants to be able to run the offense, and they've got a new offensive coordinator in Miami. They've got weapons galore, and they're willing to spend to go get him more. So my number one for Aaron Rodgers after this season is our Miami Dolphins. Wouldn't that number. Be-
Wouldn't that be beautiful? Be great. Now, number 12, I think, is retired, so he'd have to wear a different number. That's okay. But imagine how great he would look in aqua and oh, orange. fabulous. Ooh. And can you imagine the celebrities that would show up at the games? They would go down to Miami to party. They would show up to see Aaron Rodgers. It would be a spectacle. I Dan love Marino it. Marino on the sidelines, right? Every every time. Number two. Isn't J-Lo a part owner, Randy? I think so. Right. And Serena and Venus? It would be amazing. Number two on my list is a team that had been linked to Aaron Rodgers a lot this offseason, and that's the Denver Broncos. Again, question marks at quarterback with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. And I think... Barring a massive upgraded season from Drew Locke, I think the question marks will still remain for the quarterback position in Denver. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is good enough to take Denver to that Super Bowl caliber level, but I imagine if they think they have a shot at him, they're going to go all in and we'll see subsequent moves be made. But this is a place that Aaron Rodgers has been interested in going to when the list of teams that he was allegedly interested in leaked, Denver was right there at the top. So I don't know why John Elway and the Broncos wouldn't be all in on Aaron Rodgers next season. Makes all the sense in the world. They have a great defense. They have a coaching staff and an ownership and a leadership that's willing to give a guy like Aaron Rodgers power and so yeah I think they make and they'll probably have a need at the end of the season they make a lot of sense like my number two which is the Washington football team they have a spectacular young defense and what better way to sell gear with your new logo than by doing it with Aaron Rodgers they are going to need a quarterback they have Ryan Fitzpatrick and Battlehawks legend Taylor Heineke right now (laughs) owner Dan Snyder has backed off his meddling the last few years but after his suspension is over he won't be able to resist trading for Rodgers and putting him in charge of the personnel and of the offense that one makes all the sense in the world And by the way, if Rodgers does care about money, he can get more there than any place else. Washington football team. I would not like him to land there. No, after everything we've heard about them. But he he could bring them back to respectability. Aaron Rodgers is a guy that can make you feel better about an organization. He could make you feel good about cheering for the Washington football team. Yeah. Not that. But I just don't want Dan Snyder to have success. (laughs) That's what I don't want. I'm with you there. Number three. Finally, you want to talk about an organization that wants to sell tickets? Let's look west. How about the Las Vegas Raiders? Oh, yeah. They have their shiny new Allegiant Stadium, this big palace in the desert. They're entering year four of their rebuild. And I think the buzz around John Gruden and and the new staff and moving to Vegas is going to simmer a little bit, and fans are going to expect a winner. And what better way to convince fans in Vegas that you are building a winner than by bringing in an MVP and a Super Bowl winning quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. I think that this would be a great move for them and they haven't been sold on Derek Carr for a while and I think almost a little unfairly because Derek Carr put up pretty good numbers last season. The Raiders defense wasn't so kind to him Mm -hmm. but I do think that long term they're not looking at, at Derek Carr as the answer in Vegas and it's a, it's a town of showbiz, Randy, so why not bring in the, one of the biggest shows in, in sports right now in Aaron Rodgers? That one also makes a lot of sense. Here's the thing, though, about Denver and about New Orleans and about the Washington football team and about Miami. If he doesn't win there, he won't be legendary. So my number three is a place where it doesn't matter. He's going to be legendary. Go back to Green Bay. <laughs> Aaron won the MVP last year. They've gone 13-3 and each of the last two years. He's already in that same vein as Brett Favre and Bart Starr. And he can be more legendary than Favre just by staying around. The Packers are giving him control this year. 
They'll realize him having input isn't so bad. He'll realize he has a better chance to win there than any place else. And he gets to remain a Packer and go to the Hall of Fame as only being a Green Bay Packer. So that's my number three choice is staying in Green Bay. All of the places that we mentioned, does he have a better chance to win in any of those landing spots than he does in Green Bay? No. no. Of course not. But that's why I don't know if it's about that. I think it's so complicated and so far beyond even what we're willing to grasp because it's not about money clearly it's it might not even be about winning because I don't know if he's going to go somewhere and win or have a this is not going to be a Tom Brady type scenario I don't think no um where he goes to a place like the Bucks that really is a Tom Brady away from winning and then they go out and add other pieces around him and if it is great but I think his best chance to win is likely in Green Bay and last year Tom Brady wanted Antonio Brown, and the Buccaneers went out and got him. Let's say there's a tight end that gets cut at the end of training camp, and Rodgers goes to the front office and says, I'd like to get that guy. And then they go out and get him for Rodgers. Doesn't that solve a lot of problems just by getting one guy or getting an offensive lineman or just listening to the guy and then doing what he suggests? That would make him feel great. Do you think, though, that the bad feelings that he had about the front office and the disrespect is something that long-term he's going to get over. I I would hope that he can if they stick to what they, according to Adam Schefter, told him they're going to do. They said they're going to listen to his input, and if they act on his input, then that solves all the problems, apparently, because he just wants to have juice in the organization. Do you think it's a location-based issue, too, that he just doesn't want to be in Green Bay anymore? That could be. Because that's not something that you can fix. No, but he can get to—I'd rather be in the Midwest than the East, though. He can get to L.A. very easily. He's got access to private jets all the time. He His can, life is easy. He can get anywhere easily. Yeah, that's not a problem. No. All right, those are your top three for Aaron Rodgers. Coming up, Michelle and I will cross things over with Danny Mack. He'll have the Cardinal call tonight on Bally against— the Cleveland Indians, the Danny Mac Show with BK coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac is here getting ready for the Dan McLaughlin show. Uh, I've already done that. I've I've gotten ready for it. I am ready to rock and roll. Good. I like to hear it. Leads right into Cleveland. BK is like... Right over your head. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, got it. Cleveland rocks. Yes, sir. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is cool. I love it. It is cool. It is awesome. Yeah. I saw uh, U2 is one of my favorite bands. Mm -hmm. I love all kinds of music, and they had a whole... When I was there, it was maybe six years ago, five, six years ago, and they had a whole display on U2, nice. like with lyrics on napkins and things of that nature, which is kind of cool to see. Isn't, anyway, I just yeah. loved it. Isn't it was it neat. amazing how lyrics come about, whether yes. it's on napkins or um, I remember watching in uh, a thing on Coldplay, how they write it on the yeah. piano. They paint it white and write lyrics on the Isn't piano. It's amazing, the creative process and yes. how things get built. Billy Joel used to keep a notepad next to his bed because he right. would dream songs Wow! and wake up in the middle of the night. And he, So if he would wake up in the morning, he couldn't remember them, obviously. So he would just wake up from his dream and make sure that he wrote down the Genesis of the song. One of my favorite things now with, um, certainly it's on satellite radio and, and Billy Joel 
uh, had a station for a while, and it, com- mm-hmm. it comes off and on. But he will do concerts in which you can ask him about the genesis of a song. Mm-hmm. And then he just sits behind the piano and explains it. And I, I just... It's unbelievable to hear the creativity of these people and how talented they are. But I, it's one of my favorite things to listen to. Things that I could never even dream of yes. writing a song, let alone having it be so natural that it's just part of your being. Yeah. That songs just come to you. That's pretty amazing. So talented. And you know what's really interesting is that, it, like, if you listen to what Glenn Fry and Don Henley did with the Eagles, they would come up with lyrics and then do right. the music. Wow. Billy Joel, it's the music. He still writes music without lyrics. But they would think, oh, this is a cool lyric. Let's make a song to this. Right. I uh, seen from an Italian restaurant is um, an amazing song. And the story behind it is great. That's the, and it's two different songs yeah. that he put together, yeah. which is just like, how do you do that? I, I couldn't do that. No. I yes. just I call ball two. That's what I do. <laughs> Had a lot of those on ball Sunday. Ball three, ball four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that game on Sunday... Holy smokes. Did you, I thought that was one was getting away when Cabrera was in. Had my doubts. Um, but when they got the bases loaded and they got out, I mean, they. you look at that whole weekend, it was like both these teams had so many opportunities to win these games. Mm-hmm. And Reds could have easily won, come back and cough. You know, Cardinals could have coughed that thing up. Uh, Cardinals easily could have won Friday, Saturday. It was just missed opportunities. But here we go. Uh, Drop two out of three. And now you've got, uh, you're at the century mark and you got 62 to go. And it's what you do with the other 40. So the Cardinals need to go 42 and 20 to be a playoff team. So I did some numbers and you know, I like looking at numbers. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me look at it on my phone. Um, The second wild card expanded that that format started in 2012 and the Cardinals actually won that play in game. You guys probably remember against the Braves with the pop. Yeah. The infield fly. fly. The infield fly. Right. That was a fun game. So the average number of wins needed to get to and this is through this is the National League only mm-hmm. is um, eighty nine point six. The highest was ninety seven. That was by the Cubs the year that uh, th- there was three teams. Twenty fifteen, right? Yes, and then um, the lowest is eighty seven. So you y- you got it there. I mean, you're at fifty wins. You got to basically get to I would say ninety Win now forty more. The way I also look at it, though, and this is how baseball works, is the the Brewers have a really tough stretch of games coming up. And if you can get, let's say, pull within five or six, and then you have all those games head to head, you know, that's another way to look at it, too, is that then you got to win those games. But generally speaking, you got to get to around 89, 90 wins to get in. And I think a lot of it, Dan, is going to depend on when Flaherty is back. For sure. the Cardinals. Because and Michaelis. You, and yeah, Michaelis, yeah. You just can't, as much as we like what Woodford and Oviedo might become and what... LeBlanc. Hey, he deserves all the credit in the world, right? He, he for what he's things done. down, right. Yeah. But you can't count on him to be a guy that's part of a team that's winning two out of every three three games. And that's what you're going to have to do. Yeah. You know, you're talking about winning two out of three or three out of four. You, you can't really be splitting series. It's You, you got to start making a run. Now, the other thing I like is that... You have, uh, after the game tomorrow, you, you've got a 10-game homestand, and they played well at home, and it's against some lesser teams. I mean, the Pirates are now a lesser team, even though they took three or four of you, but they, mm-hmm. they just traded Frazier. Right. You don't know what the Cubs are going to look like in the second half, uh, or at least the final two months here, and what they do with Baez and Rizzo and Bryant and these guys. And now they traded Chaffin yep, this morning. They just traded him to, I think it was the Angels. 
So, you know, teams look different once you get through this trade deadline, and we'll see how they play out. We'll we'll break it down with BK coming up. We're looking forward to that. All right. And I understand you guys are going to Canton uh, next one, Friday, one right? One week from Friday, yes. That's awesome. We're gonna, That'll uh, be great. We're going to go uh, talk to Isaac and DV and Tori Holt and uh, a bunch of Jay Zygmunt is going to be up there. I was going to ask you, are you hearing about even the non-big names, non-superstar uh, players that were here in St. Louis that are going to, to go? I mean, Isaac was beloved by everybody. Oh, it's unbelievable, the list of names that are going to yeah. be there. That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm jealous. I wish I could be there. And a lot of uh, greatest on turf fans are going to be there too. I was going to ask you that too. Are are you hearing that the bus loads are going flying? What are you hearing? Yeah, a lot of St. Louis people. A lot of people are going to make it up there for us. What might be? We hope Tori makes it. But hey, there's a good chance this could be our last NFL moment. You never know. Yeah, I mean that's hard to believe. NFL moment. Wow. Yeah. Savor it. Yeah, absolutely. I do think, by the way, uh, Tory's going to get in. I do, too. It he's may deserving. take a little bit, but I think yep. he's going to get in. Yep. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, great work as always. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection.